Common bienvenue, Kanichiwa, Nihao, Jambo, Marhaba. Time for the Armist Inquisition yet again. Episode 213 on Sunday, the 2nd of January 2022. Mm. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, indeed. What a treat we've got tonight mm-hmm. um, for our first podcast of the year because we are joined by intrepid explorer of enigmatic ancient sites, Brian Forster. How are you doing, Brian? Great. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for coming on, Brian. Yeah. Looking forward to this one for a bit. So uh, yeah, it's going to be good. No, good. Now, tell us, Brian, um, you probably have the best job in the world, one of the best jobs. <laughs> How on earth did you get to this point? Has this been like a lifelong deal for you? Or was there like a catalytic moment, a book you read or an article or a documentary? What set you off on this path? Oh, it was a combination of things. I've been fascinated by ancient places, ancient mysteries since I was a kid. Um, I used to look at National Geographic when I was very young, and uh, the book um, Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock was a great catalyst in order to uh, draw me into... Uh, I think he was the first one to go all over the world and see all of these mysterious places and connect, like, uh, really connect the dots together. So he was very influential um, early on. And then my first trip to England, actually, when I was 16, I got to go see Stonehenge. Nice. So, um, you know, quite a bit farther south to where you're located. But that was, you know, that was amazing. There wasn't even a fence around it at, at the time. <laughs> yeah. so we were able to walk right up to the stones and touch them and things, which is very different from the situation today and my first trip to peru was about 15 years ago where i got to see the, the megalithic structures you know up close and personal and i was just uh, i was shocked by how um incredibly complicated some of these megalithic sites are so that's what really started me on to this path i guess yeah when you say complicate what do you mean by how complicated they are well, the fact that the stones are in general megalithic, meaning very big, they interlock without any kind of uh, clay or cement or mortar. They, in, you know, they're literally interlocking with each other, and in some cases, the quarry for the stone is up to fifty-five kilometers away. So, <clears throat> trans, you know, cutting, trans, transporting multi-ton blocks by the Inca would have been basically impossible. So that's what uh, really draw my first um queries and questions about who could have possibly done this kind of work yeah there's a sort of uh how did they do it sort of because we were told about when we sort of read in books or watch documentaries about these certain civilizations we're led to believe that they had a certain level of sophistication and technology and when you like you mentioned these these massive polygonal masonry walls in peru 
And there's some of the strongest evidence for me that there's something weird going on because, I mean, they just don't look real. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, it's 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 the sort of the the lack of evidence for sort of the machining and the tooling and stuff, and that's what um, kind of what the mainstream academia says is the is the issue, isn't it, with kind of being able to evidence how they were they were made, and so I suppose. So it's something something I wanted to ask her when we get people on like yourself is um, how do you think they actually did it? What's your kind of ideas as to sort of like the tools and the tooling that was potentially able to do that kind of thing? Well, that's, of course, the most curious question because the academics still insist it was copper chisels and stone hammers and wooden wedges, which are, you know, at this point, completely ridiculous. So, um, you know, been going through different theories over the course of a number of years. And honestly, I think whoever was able to do this was able to literally manipulate matter, you know, make it into a, like a marshmallow consistency, transport it across the air and set the, these blocks into place where they turned from a marshmallow material back into a hardened stone within maybe a, a thousandth of a second or something like that. I, I know it's, it's a very much out-of-the-box kind of explanation, but there is no normal explanation that you can come up with that can explain this kind of stuff. It's very surreal. Hmm. Well, those, those like um, giant polygonal blocks, um, was it Nick in our Discord who sent us some photos, he shared some photos yeah. with us? It just, it's just got back from your neck of the woods and he, he shared some photos, some aerial photos of the Nazca lines, and then that famous wall he took a photo of with this, there's a little rope in front of it. Mm-hmm. And when you look at those those big blocks, they almost look like a, like they were a jelly, like they were yeah. a jello mould. And you, you put one down, and then as you add weight on top of it, they sort of, they, they almost look like they bow out. Mm. Yeah. No, exactly. And uh, there's a very famous green granite wall in the city of Cusco that's megalithic and the the consistency of the stone is it doesn't look natural because of course quarrying from any uh, stone from any quarry you're going to get different bands of, of minerals and things in it but the whole wall is completely consistent in terms of its color and shade of green so it does look like it's been um chemically or physically altered in order to get it into that state. You don't see any cracks. You don't see any, uh, like I said, bands of, of uh, shades of minerals in there. Mm. So it's, again, that's why you really have to jump out of the box in order to try to explain how this possibly could have been done. And have they found the quarry for that green granite? Do they know where it came from? Yeah, actually, th- that one's not too far away. It's about a mile away on top of a, of a hill, but unfortunately, during colonial Spanish times, they built churches and things on top of it. So there's no actual sign, physical sign of where the quarry is today. But that's, you know, I know a number of experts who live in Cusco. They've all told me the same thing. But the basalt quarry, which is what most, most of Cusco is made from, that quarry is 55 kilometers to the south of the city, and since you only had um, llamas and alpacas as beasts of burden, there's no way that they could have used them to transport 
you know, multi-ton blocks like this, there's lit, there's probably more than a thousand or maybe a hundred thousand tons of stone in Cusco from that quarry that was transported, you know, wow. in pre-Inca times. I suppose as well, is that wall uh, you mentioned in, in Cusco, is that sort of ruins or is that sort of intact? So it was the potential for there to be actually more blocks there than are actually there now? Well, it, it shows three um, ages and levels of construction. You have the megalithic at the bottom. Right. Then above it, you have Inca repair because the Inca actually used any stone that was in the area to do the repair work, whereas the original stone wall was all from the same quarry. You, again, you can tell by the color of green. And then you have the Spanish colonial, of course, built on top of that. Mm-hmm. So does the do the stones get smaller and softer as you go through time then? Yeah, they get smaller. They don't fit as well. Like the Inca did a relatively good repair job. But then when you get to the Spanish, the Spanish actually covered everything in, um, in a kind of gypsum material in order, number one, to have a consistent look and also to hide the poor craftsmanship that was underneath <laughs> it. So. Yeah, so I was just going to say as well, it kind of points towards like kind of thinking what I've heard about in Egypt as well, in that the, the kind of stonework and the masonry gets worse as you kind of move through time, essentially. Well, exactly. Like in Egypt, of course, you have the, you know, the Great Pyramids and all of that, all, you know, massive complex at Giza, which also, of course, goes underground. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, we tend to start our Egypt tours in the south. Because we, uh, you know, we spend four days on the Nile traveling north, and that's where you go through most of the dynastic construction, which is limestone and sandstone, which are relatively light or um, softish stone materials. And then when you get to the Giza Plateau, it's a completely different concept and approach of building. Because mm-hmm. <coughs> they, um, in the Great Pyramid, they incorporated granite, didn't they? Uh, Graham Hancock talks in his book about the the granite uh, sort of long um, rectangular blocks that were used in the relieving chambers that may, were maybe 40, 50, 60 tons apiece. Yeah, exactly. And all of that stone had to be transported from Aswan, which is at the very southern part of, of Egypt. So, of course, people are going to say they built barges and transported these giant blocks, you know, on the Nile, but... They can never explain where the wood came from to build the boats to start with. So, you know, that that's always what, what they say is they say, you know, anything near the Nile, uh, it was transported, including the 720-ton Colossi of Memnon, which is one piece of stone that actually came from Cairo because it's made of quartzite. It's not, uh, not granite. Quartzite? Now, that sounds like a hard stone to work with. Yeah, it's almost pure quartz. So it's seven out of ten on the hardness da- uh, scale. And how heavy? How heavy are the colossi? Uh, well, there's one that's still relatively intact, and it weighs seven hundred and twenty tons on a base, and it's one piece of stone on a base which is at least three hundred and fifty tons. It's just wild, isn't it? And one wasn't enough. They had <laughs> no. to do it twice. <laughs> You always, yeah. you always want two, don't you? <laughs> Especially if the first one's nice. Yeah, the air and the spare. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the same, the same goes for these giant obelisks. I mean, we're talking about Egypt now, so mm-hmm. the same goes for the big obelisks um, that were transported. I mean, the Romans, the Romans were pretty good at moving sort of big granite stuff, weren't they? But I guess yeah, but... we're talking like there's like a two and a half thousand year gap between... Well, at least. Uh, well, well, yeah. Well, uh, going off the... Yeah, yeah. You know, the... Um, what what would you call it? The conventional mm-hmm. chronology. That there's, you know, roughly two and a half thousand years between the Romans and uh, the construction of the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, do, are you, would the, the conventional Egyptologists say that the dynastic Egypts... You uh, Egyptians rather used the same techniques as the Romans did a couple of millennia later. Would that be their explanation? Um, yeah, more or less. I mean, when you go to the Aswan quarry, which is where there still is a 1200 ton obelisk that was never actually completed, they show you this 10 minute video clip, um, th- you know, that the Egyptian authorities made where they, you know, they show uh, an animation of, of how the uh, the um, obelisks were, of course, uh, cut from the quarry, moved to the Nile, moved onto this giant barge, transported to the location where they were supposed to go to, then dragged across the sand, I guess. And then they built um, like an enclosure. They would raise the obelisk up horizontally, fill the pit with sand, and then let the sand out. And then the obelisk was supposed to gently drop down and then they would push it up and make it, you know, stand up. Um, and, of, of course, as you said, the Romans were able to move. You know, there's the famous one that's at um, St. Peter's um, in the Vatican. And, of course, you know, one was transported to France. One was transported to uh, New York City. There's one in London called Cleopatra's Needle. There are more obelisks outside of Egypt than in Egypt <laughs> at this point. So the the uh, the video you you just described, they didn't show the Egyptians using cranes like the Romans would have done. No, they don't. That's a very good point. Because um, that's a huge it, a huge sort of advantage as far as leverage mm-hmm. and you know I'm pretty sure the ancient Greeks probably came up with similar sort of techniques. They were good at maths and geometry and stuff, weren't they? But mm-hmm. as far as the the Egyptian authorities, they they don't seem to Im- invoke some sort of fulcrum mechanical advantage other than just piling up loads of sand and dropping it in. Yeah, basically, I've, I've never seen a diagram of the Egyptians using any kind of, of crane. And, of course, what kind of scale of crane would you have to have to be able to move something that was 400 or 500 or... 1,000 tons, but that's, you know, that's where their whole (laughs) paradigm and story is falling apart because they come up with these, you know, what are becoming very corny answers to complicated questions. And I guess people are still gullible enough to believe them, but anybody who has half a brain can see that we're definitely missing major parts of our history that, um, you know, we, you know, Graham and I and a bunch of others are trying to unravel. Mm. I remember uh, years ago looking into what our modern cranes can do today, mm-hmm. and as far as I can remember, the like the heaviest modern cranes could lift was about a thousand tons. But these were shipping cranes, so they were on the, on at ports, mm-hmm. and they were static, and they were yeah. just for lifting up a ship and dropping it down again. They mm-hmm. weren't 
portable. Mm-hmm. They weren't portable, you know. It really does make you think. I mean, it's obviously, it was done. It's been done. Someone did it. Mm. But there's just so many holes in our sort of conventional explanations, isn't yeah, there? The methods missing in the... In the yeah, yeah, it does make me think that there is something, uh, like you mentioned about matter and how we think about matter, and I wonder about sonics. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, about sort of uh, sonics and sacred... Sacred geometry. yeah. Yeah, frequency. Yeah, that's these the word I'm looking of, for, yeah. Yeah, whether they, they had something, it's almost as if they they had something not necessarily technologically advanced, that's the wrong word, but a, an advanced understanding of our reality which enabled to create these feats. Mm. What Does that sound plausible, Brian? No, definitely. The more that we're looking at this, the more it looks like frequency and vibration were involved, um, you know, Levitating or neutralizing uh, gravity had to have been involved. Um, literally moving stone through through the air, you know, it's very very plausible. Though we can't explain how it was done, but uh, it's just the logistics and all the you know the complicated aspects of trying to even replicate this today, which of course is what everybody. Um, you know, try, tries to say, like, could we do this today? Some of it, yes, some of it, no. You know, some of it is beyond our capability. And you're talking about, it, you know, the responsible cultures being of a Bronze Age level of technology. It's, you know, it's really, it's become really, the conventional stories become absolutely stupid at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's why I do what I do. That's why I make my videos is to be in the field and show people you know, that I'm actually there filming this stuff. And, um, you know, we've had thousands of people come with us on tours in Peru and Bolivia and Easter Island and Egypt and other places. And not one of them had, has been able to swallow the conventional story. They all mm. leave at the end of a tour, um, you know, with a very uh, numbed mind because of so much information their brain is trying to process. The- uh- no, I was just going to ask, as we were t- just talking about Egypt, so I wanted to ask about, um, I'm probably going to absolutely butcher the name of this uh, uh, pyramid. Is it called Abu Rawash? And you, I kind of remember watching one of your videos about it and you kind of saying that it may have exploded or something like that. Yeah, it's a very strange place. It is called Abu Rosh or Abu Rawash. And right. the two explanations for it are either it was a pyramid that was under construction that never got finished or, well, actually three explanations, or it exploded, mm. or it had been uh, finished and then quarried. But it's uh, it's in a location where you need very special permission. It costs, I think, $3,000 to be able to visit the site. Uh, most of the most curious locations we go to now are places like that, that are mm. off the beaten track and uh, require a lot of paperwork and a lot of money to... Um, to see, but when you have a big tour group with you, like 40 or 50 people, it's quite, uh, you know, it's, it's not that expensive mm. per person. Mm. Why does it cost so much? Is it just because there's interest there and they see it as a... You know, well, a to... the previous head of uh, of Supreme Antiquities, Mr. Um, Zahi Hawass, he was responsible for covering up a lot of these ancient places because you had to go through him personally in order to be able to visit them. So the new head of the antiquities actually uh, tuned into the idea 
that if you charge extra money, uh, then, you, you know, like two and a half or $3,000 for a two hour visit, then you can get uh, small groups to be able to see things that otherwise are not allowed. And so every time I go back to Egypt, there's another site that's been open to us because of this special permission thing. And one thing I especially do when I'm there is uh, when I film places I've never been to before, I never put any of it on social media while I'm in Egypt. Mm. Because I, I have been told that some of the Egyptian authorities monitor my activity. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I make sure that I don't post anything major until I get back to, to Peru. And then, you know, they can't touch me. But um yeah, it's a lot of control in Egypt over stuff like this. But the new, the new head guy is is good, uh, as compared to the people who have been uh, in charge in the past. So mm. good for us, and for him. Yeah, um, Ben Ben from Uncharted X was telling us about the labyrinth at Harara. Yeah. Is uh, oh, yeah. have you had a visit there yet? Uh, I've been there once. We're actually going back in March, so. Um, you know, there's stories that there are th like 3,000 rooms underground or something like that. But unfortunately, uh, what happened is when they built the Aswan High Dam, oh, yeah. uh, the Soviets or the Russians did that. It caused a lot of um, flooding, like underground flooding. So there's no way to be able to access the labyrinth if it exists. There's a little pyramid that you can walk halfway down into, uh, but then you're hit with, the, you know, a giant pool of water. So... Whether it's real or not, supposedly, I think it was Herodotus recorded that it existed like mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to go back there for a second time. It's always, um, you know, most of these places I've been to many times, but places like Hawara are, are kind of off the beaten track. So it's something you, you save, um, you know, for a, a special day. Yeah. <laughs> Just going back to um, the construction methods again um something i wanted to ask you about was the potential for some of these stones in various places having having uh special qualities like conductive qualities or magnetic qualities is this something you've looked into oh definitely well most of the um most of the megalithic work is out of hard stone so basalt or granite um, and they tend to be quite high in uh, quartz crystal, and in the case of basalt, also pretty high in iron content. So, of course, iron is magnetic. Um, and then, of course, we have the very strange location of Puma Punku, located in, uh, in Bolivia. And it, uh, it is comprised of two types of stone. One is red sandstone, which is neutral to magnetism and then another material uh, stone called andesite which is very highly magnetic so if you take a compass to that location uh, the compass goes goes crazy <clears throat> on certain stones um, like there's no consistent aberration it depends on which stone you're focusing on and your approach to it so the famous H blocks are highly magnetic um, and nobody's been able to explain that uh, standard academics don't, don't even know that that, uh, that that anomaly exists as far as I know. So that's something that I and Ancient Aliens and Ben of um, Uncharted X and, and uh, people like that have been looking at. What, what are the H-blocks made out of? That's, a, that's the andesite material. 
Right. Did you say that was the one that's high in iron? Um, I'm not sure if... No, actually, basalt is high in iron. Basalt. Right. It's very interesting. I mean, to me, those H-blocks, they look like... They almost look like they were poured or cast. Mm. To me. What's what's your thinking on the the construction method for them? Well, they they do look like they're cast, but the important... You know, there are lots of theories about that they made up a big wall or something like that. (laughs) But when you go and measure them... Each one is actually unique. They're not all of the same dimension. Wow! So each one is a one, you know, is a one-off. Um, so that blows the theory that they, you know, that they were, uh, you know, poured or a geopolymer or something like that. So again, it, it simply adds to the mystery of the location. All right. So you're saying they would have had to make a an individual cast for each H-block for them to have been poured, which just doesn't seem practical. Well, and of course, there's also the theory that the Great Pyramid also is geopolymer. In that case, you have 2.3 million <laughs> stone, stone blocks. of Each one is a unique shape. So you'd have to have you know 2.3 million forms made out of some kind of material, and plywood wasn't in existence <laughs> It's a lot then, of trees, so isn't that, it? <laughs> Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> now, but, I mean, the, the, I think there's two different sort of um, things going on. I mean, as far as the pyramids are sort of less uh, enigmatic to me in that because cause they're the smaller blocks, maybe a, a couple of tons each, and they're a relatively softer stone mm-hmm. in limestone. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, the one the the sites you're talking about, like Puma Punku, these are granite. These are and basalt, which are as, nearly as hard as you can get. It's, it's 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 almost like there's two different stories going on there. I don't I, I don't know. Do you think they're related? Do you think the 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 people who built Pumpunku are related to the people who built the pyramids? No, I don't think so. I think um, we're looking looking at at least three different ancient civilizations oh. because. Um, you know, Egypt, pre-dynastic Egypt, it's all very logical. It's all very left-brained. It's all very linear. Uh, then you get to Peru, where it's polygonal. Um, and it's more of a right-brained, playful, artistic way of, of approaching things. And then Puma Punku, you have just astonishing levels of precision, you know, almost laser-flat surfaces. So I think you're talking... Uh, of at least three different civilizations for those three locations. And then you have Easter Island where you have, of course, the giant Moai figures. Some, you know, were up to 40 feet tall. And I think that again was a different civilization again. I think you can draw some comparisons between uh, Baalbek and Lebanon and Egypt because it seems to be a, a relatively similar construction style, like again, linear, massive scale, um, and even there's some sites in Saudi Arabia that you're allowed to visit now, which look very similar to the way that Baalbek uh, was constructed, and and to some degree Petra in Jordan. Uh, you've got to now for people who are uninitiated about Baalbek, just uh, tell people about Baalbek and the Trilithon and what's going on there. Well, Baalbek is located in what's called the Be- uh, Becca Valley or Baca Valley, about three-hour drive outside of uh, the capital city, Beirut. And uh, 
I mean, it's just, it's a surreal location. The, you know, the bus took us first up to where the quarry is, which is about a mile from the Baalbek um, site itself. And there you have, a, I think, a 1,200-ton block of stone still attached to the bedrock. And, you know, I literally said, holy F, you know, when I saw it for the first time, because it's, you know, it's, but be, you know, seeing pictures of it is one thing, but seeing it in person, it's beyond belief. Yeah, you could ski down it, couldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, and as you mentioned, the Trilithon, which is a, a series of 3,000-ton blocks which perfectly interlock with one another. Um, I've been there twice, and they've opened up the entire site of Baalbek now to the public. So you have massive walls of, of uh, blocks of stone weighing, weighing between 400 and 800 tons, all presumably coming from this quarry. Uh, again, the conventional explanation of how this stuff was cut and transported makes no sense whatsoever. So it's another location where you see three construction styles. You have the megalithic at the bottom, then you have Roman on top, which is smaller and not as well done, and then you have a medieval fort on top of that. So you have three different levels of construction getting worse as time goes on. Mm. Now, the, the conventional story is that the Roman... that is that there, was only, there would only be two, I'm guessing, isn't it? Because the, the conventional archaeologists, historians say the Romans built the whole temple complex and then the medieval yeah. layer was on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And actually, our, it took us three, three hours to reprogram our local guide because she kept <laughs> saying that the Romans did all of it. And, you know, again, you, you say, how about this 1,000-ton block? How was it moved? And uh, she didn't have any explanation, but her explanation for why the Romans did it was to impress the local people. <laughs> ah! I mean, this is what this is what blows my mind about Baalbek is the Romans were very pragmatic. Uh, why use a, a thousand ton block? Is ten a hundred ton blocks not hard enough? I just don't get it's yeah. the why that gets me. Yeah, that's the that's the, one of the most important questions. Why would you bother to go to that scale? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the just the, you know, the, just the logistics again of 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 cutting something that size and transporting it and setting it into place with such incredible precision. Luckily, the foundation area wasn't damaged by the Romans at all, so you could walk up very close to where this big row of 800-ton blocks are, and you can see they fit perfectly together. Like, there is not an area where you can fit a piece of paper in where the joins are. So that's, you know, again, how could anyone achieve that? Um, one of the arguments used by conventional archaeology is that there was some uh, Roman column drums, I think, used underneath the Trilithon. What's that? I think one of the the conventional arguments that the Romans put the Trilithon blocks in is that some um, Roman column drums were found in the wall beneath the Trilithon. And I believe, doesn't Graham Graham Hancock suggest that this is repair, possibly by um, when the... uh, Not Islam... uh, Catholic... Roman? Catholic Roman? No, no. After the Romans, that that it was that it was re- a repair job. Ah, can't remember. Well, it right. definitely, yeah, it definitely looks like it was a re- repair job. Um, um, yeah, that's that would be my explanation for it. 
again, these sites, you know, these sites are pretty complicated. You have to have a pretty keen eye, which most people don't have, uh, you know, to look at this stuff. But when you've had, you know, several years of experience of, of going to these locations, you get more and more insight into um, how you think they were built, what you think would, would have been a later re repair work. And um, yeah, it definitely looks like the smaller blocks were put in as an afterthought by somebody who was not the original builder. Why, why do you think there is um, the stone left in the quarry? And I think, I think, isn't there a second stone been discovered in the quarry as well? Yeah, there's a bigger one. There's that, they've, um, so I think it was Russians who recently went there three years ago and they, uh, they fully excavated the stone of the pregnant woman. So now you can't climb on top of it. You used to be able to climb up from the bottom, but now they've cut, they've cut all that earth out. And so it's, you know, it, it looms above you. And then next to it, there was just this flat surface and some of the local archaeologists excavated one corner down to the bottom. And they estimate that's that one's 1,600 tons. And there could even be bigger ones there too. Jeez. But I mean, why, why, how come, why do you think they're still in the quarry? Have, have you any hypothesis as to why that would be? What, something must have happened for them to be left in the quarry. Are you still there? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear Brian? Hello. Hello. Hi, Brian. We can hear you. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you now. All right. <laughs> Don't know what happens. Dodgy internet, probably. Do you do you have a hypothesis or any clues, guesses as to why those stones would have been left in the quarry? Do you think what do you think might have happened? I think there was a sudden cataclysmic event that stopped activity. That's what we see in Egypt. That's what we see in Peru. Like something, like an enormous force suddenly struck all of these locations, maybe at the same time, and just simply stopped the construction. Uh, it could have been very high heat, which would have vaporized any organic life. So any, any plants or animals or people that were there would have been literally vaporized. Um, you know, we see lots of... Uh, heat damage at locations like the Colossi of Memnon and Karnak and other locations in Egypt and in Peru and Petra and Jordan. So that seems to have been what, you know, there's growing scientific evidence that that's what happened. Are they looking at the, like the exterior of the exposed bits of the stone? Um, is that showing signs of extreme heat stress? It, I don't know how, whether that would even show on, on material of this sort. Yeah, you see, especially on the western surfaces, you see at uh, Petra, you see that the um, the stone has been melt, like blackened surfaces, like it's been melted. Um, at, at Karnak, it's all on the western side. In Peru, it's all on the western side. So it's like something, it looks like something came from the sun. Wow. <laughs> so it's this kind of um, along the lines of like Robert, what Robert Shock was saying around sort of massive geo storms and things like that. Like a CME. CME. Yeah. CME. Ah, amazing. Is that your, your thinking that this is probably coronal mass ejection? Right? I think it could, it could very well be. I wrote a book called Aftershock where I look at all the, all the theories of, um, of ancient devastation, all, all happening at the same time, all between 
about 13,000 and 12,000 years ago, which of course Graham Hancock and uh, many others go into in, in great detail. Mm. And um, of course, Robert Schock's work, uh, you know, all the same timeline, which is really quite curious. You know, I'll just, uh, again, a little, like a little bit older than the destruction of so-called Atlantis. Mm. Yeah, from Plato's account. So, I mean, how does this play in with the Younger Dryas? Do you think that it's possible for CMAs and uh, Younger Dryas impacts or one or the other? Or what's your, your view on that? Because there's a lot of scientific papers been written over the last two decades about potential um, comet impacts into the North American ice sheets that could have caused this civilizational reset. Um, but you seem to be swinging towards Robert Shock and coronal mass ejections. Do you think it's a bit of both? Oh, I think it was definitely both. I think there it was such a massive series of events that happened. Uh, there's also um, the theory that the emissions of energy from galactic center happened at the same time. Gamma ray and that, that was the that was the trigger of the whole thing. That um, ejection um, of, of uh, from the black hole at the center of, of our galaxy happened that that went across the galactic plane that could have gone straight through the sun and that that, that could have triggered the, the the plasma ejections from the sun and then capturing comets along the path and having them you know whack different planets and cause a change in axis of, of different planets and things like that so I think it was a whole series of of events that happened over the course of around a thousand years. Amazing. Not a good time to be around. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's a miracle uh, any of us made it. Um, how do you think yeah. um, Gobekli Tepe plays into this? Well, Gobekli Tepe is, is interesting. I've, I've been there. Techn like, technically, it's not that well done. So, um, you know, it's been carbon dated as the oldest known series of structures, but... Um, when you you know when you're pretty up close to the stones themselves, it could have been done with hand tools. You're, you're looking at a pretty large scale, like twenty ton pillars. Yeah. Uh, the quarry is supposedly right there, so it's you know it's not a big deal to move them. Um, so you know it's curious because it's been uh, radiocarbon tested at that time period, you know, which is very curious. But it doesn't show the level of precision that we see in, the, in these other locations we've been looking at. And, and, of course, they've only supposedly excavated something like 130th of it, and the Turkish government don't plan to do any more excavation. So, you know. I mean, it sort of plays into the idea that Gebekli Tepe is the restart, you know, after yeah. shortly after this cataclysmic event that maybe lasted a thousand years or so that, you know, you, you describe you've seen these blocks up close and personal and you can compare them to Pumapunku and the Assyrian and all these other places, and you think, well, this this looks rough in comparison. I mean, that does suggest that this is the reset rather than, um, you know, something along, you know, along the lines of what you see in Egypt. Would you, would you concur? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It, it looks like, you know, it's and the chronology seems to state that, that, Gobekli Tepe was probably the first like large complex created 
after the series of cataclysms, it, it, it was a like the restart of civilization again. Um, but again, you go to the museum there, and it's you know they think hunter gatherers did all of this work. And, <laughs> yeah, you know you you'd need a very coordinated group of engineers and architects and builders to be able to do something on that scale. Um, the fact that the Turks won't let any more excavation is very suspicious. Um, but yeah, it's it's of, of no, you know, it's impressive for me. It's impressive to see once, but it, it's not that enigmatic to me as compared to all of these other places we've been discussing. Yeah, I mean, it suggests to me that they had help from, you know, you, man, you mentioned the organization, the engineering knowledge. If you think about this is shortly after this massive cataclysm, um, there's going to be few survivors. The ones that are have, have been struggling, um, for them to gather together, create a civilization, create the agriculture and therefore the surplus in food supplies to be able to have dedicated tradesmen, craftsmen, masonries, masons and all the rest of it. It does suggest to me that they had help from the outside, from people from the before times, the, the antediluvian people. That's what it fascinates me that, that that this could actually be real. <laughs> that this is like this could be this sort of part of our story, our shared history, our shared, you know, where we come from. And there's just so many massive holes in it. If you read a, a bog standard history book, that just doesn't want to entertain these questions. It doesn't want to look at it because you know there's so many vested interests in in you know careers and short term thinking and. Uh, all the rest of it. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's why, again, I'm glad that there are, are a number of us now who are, are creating uh, YouTube videos. You know, as, you know, we mentioned Ben previously of Uncharted X. You know, he's, he, you know, produces brilliant docu documentary style works. He does have a background in engineering. And so, you know, he comes from a technical background then you have, you know, quite a few others. There's uh, Johanna James, who lives in London. She's been producing some great stuff. And uh, Bright Insight, uh, who's Jimmy, Jimmy. Corsetti. Yep. He's produced some very good things. So I'm very encouraged by the, the younger people coming up and exploring, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to influence some of these people, you know, and, uh, of course, all based on older uh, brilliant people like Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson and, you know, Robert Schock and Christopher Dunn and, you know, the list goes on and on. But it's, it's very uh, warming that um, there are more people catching on to this. Uh, they're not buying the party line anymore. More and more of, of the people pushing the old paradigm are probably retiring anyway, which is a good thing. So yeah. um, I'm very encouraged by you know, with the future and with uh, what we've been able to uncover so far and what there still is to be able to show to the public in the future. It's great we've maintained our sort of inquisitive nature or, or increased it almost with, with the, the younger generation. I think that is, is very positive for perhaps, you know, answering some of these questions in the future. Yeah, and, you know, YouTube provides a platform usually. Yeah. You know, I've... <sighs> YouTube is a great tool as long as you're not too controversial or you don't. Mm -hmm. This is what's so uh, dangerous about the situation we're in now with the censorship online. 
and how we have to put certain videos on other platforms because because uh, this is the world we live in and, and politics comes into it and um, we don't want to see these sorts of censorships uh, escape into other fields such as alternative history. You know, we're already getting it for, for alternative medicine, alternative science, and this is the danger that we have to be aware of because um, what you do is great, Brian, and for people who maybe don't have the means or they don't have the time or maybe they're like B.A. Baracus and the skirt of flying, <laughs> you know, for them to be able to go to your YouTube channel and see these things up close and personal in HD and the drone footage and everything, it's incredible. It's an incredible utility to have. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I'm not concerned about being banned from YouTube, though it, it could very well happen at some point. Mm. If it does then that's that's the story but um so far i've had you know i haven't had any strikes or anything from youtube so no. uh, and i also i never get into politics so i just i just look at the technical stuff that we look at and say you know i don't tend to theorize too much either i just like to show what there is and say what do you think and <laughs> most, you know most people think i have no idea who did that <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, Brian, we can't let you go. We need to talk about the schools. Well, I was just about to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even talked about elongated schools I yet. No, yeah, because you are the school guy, the elongated school guy, Brian. What's going on with these elongated schools? <laughs> well, nothing much uh, new about that because of the last two years of uh, problems we've all been having. But mm. um I would say the latest is that we know that uh, the skulls of Paracas, Peru, which is where I'm located, were not Homo sapiens sapiens. We can, you know, a lot of medical doctors are backing that up. There are morphological differences that show that they couldn't have been uh, in Homo sapiens sapiens. They were probably a subspecies that's proven by the uh, mitochondrial uh, maternal DNA. It looks like they migrated possibly from the Black Sea um, because yeah. only two of the skulls of the most ancient skulls that we were able to do radio or to do DNA testing were Native American in ancestry. So you're looking at you know a very complicated picture. And very recently, two of the skulls um, had their nuclear DNA tested, which is the uh, paternal side. And there was no match with anything human. Jeez. So they become, they're just becoming more and more obscure as time goes on. And um, you, yeah, when I was so. kind of watching your videos, you kind of mentioned as well, there's a difference between sort of manipulated skulls and then this other kind of maybe subset of uh, a human species or whatever. Can you see that, like what the differences are between the two? Yeah, the cranial volume is larger. Um, the oldest skulls appear to be natural in shape because I've actually I've seen a couple of fetuses where the skull is the size of the body. So Ooh. there's no way that that's cranial deformation. That's obviously genetics. Is that the uh, kind of mainstream view then, that it is cranial manipulation, like binding? binding. Mm -hmm. That's the yeah, mainstream well, view, yeah. Yeah, binding did happen. Binding happened in almost all the cultures involved. Um, but the earliest Paracas skulls uh, from the coast of Peru here, um, 
they genetically were were uh, different. Um, also, the foramen magnum, which is where your spinal column enters uh, the bottom of your skull, is two and a half centimeters back from where it's supposed to be. It's not at the balance Jeez. point. And so wow. obviously that gives evidence that the skulls were larger and elongated vertically and that uh, the foramen magnum is, is, was in its position to balance where the skull is, was supposed to be. Do you think the, the later skulls may have almost have been an homage? Emulating, so these, yeah, emulating these, the gods. Absolutely, um, yeah. Be more godlike. So, you know, that's kind of happening to this day. Eh? I mean, is, is there any evidence that the later skulls were of people like of um, a higher social standing or a higher class, like royalty or the analogue of a royalty? Yeah, it was, it was only the nobility that had this happen ah, right. to... So definitely, and of course, like the originals were natural in shape. Then as their population began to dwindle, they began interbreeding with normal looking people. And then as the skulls began to shrink in size, then that's when the, when the manipulation of the binding would start to happen to maintain the look of the original people. Um, of course, no academic believes this, but I think I've done more work on this than anybody on the planet. So, I, you know, that makes me a bit of an expert on it. Oh, the um, theoretically, could you trace a bloodline then and where that original DNA was sort of maintained throughout and there would be people around today with some level of that elongated species? Uh, well, unfortunately, what happened was that, uh, you know, the famous Nazca lines, the Nazca people moved in from the north and they uh, caused genocide on the original Paracas people. So uh, when the Nazca take over, the elongated skulls dis disappear, their genetic red hair of the Paracas disappears. Um, red hair. And the, Parac mm. the Paracas were actually the ones who did most of the Nazca, Nazca line work anyway, not the Nazca. Oh. Red hair, that's interesting. Yeah, it? I was just going to say as well, um, another thing you said in, in your video is about sort of, which is something that was completely new to me, is that you can find sort of elongated skulls all over the world. And even, I think I, I think you mentioned Akhenaten as well in Egypt. Well, he's depicted as being having an elongated skull, but mm. uh, his... His mummy's never been found, but yeah, you find you know you find elongated skull people in Melanesia. You find them uh, the west coast or western part of Africa, um, throughout Europe at Stonehenge, um, all through you know parts of South America. The Maya had uh, cranial deformation, and uh, so, so and uh, also into. I think into the United States as well to some degree. So would, would I be right in saying that the the ones that you find dotted around in various other places are later and therefore uh, deformation rather than the very early ones in Peru? Yeah, the only ones that appear to that could have been natural in shape are the ones in Paracas and also in the highlands of Peru as well, right. but also in the area of the Black Sea. So there, there are a few pictures online. If you put in Black Sea elongated skull, you'll see some photos, but not a lot. I don't think the Russians have done too much in terms of, of actual um, analysis of them, but you, you can find photos of them. 
Do you think there could be a link? Because I'm thinking the Black Sea. I mean, if we assume that the Peruvian ones emigrated from the Black Sea area, um, do you think there's any possibility of a link between the elongated skulls in the Black Sea and the Denisovans? Because the Denisova cave's probably not too far from the Black Sea. I think the time frame is a lot different, though. The Denisovans died out maybe 40 or 50,000 years ago or, or more. The Paracas ones date from around 3,000 to 2,000 years ago, as far as we know. Wow, so quite recent then. Mm. Oh, yeah. Wow, they're the, they're the ones in Peru, the natural ones, for lack of a better word, 3,000 years old. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, I just wanted to bring it back to sort of um, South America, I think this is right, is something along, it's called the, the is it called the Capac Nian line? It sort of runs all the way up um, South America into the Americas, and that's where you find a lot of um, these elongated schools along that line that runs up sort of like the continent, essentially. Yeah, it's actually, it's called the Path of Viracocha. Right. And it goes from goes from the border of Ecuador in the northwest down through the southeast, and all of the megalithic sites are located along that line. So you're talking about the Island of the Sun at Lake Titicaca, you're talking Puma Punku, you're talking Tiwanaku, you're talking Oyente Tambo and Machu Picchu and Sacsayhuaman. Um, and also at all of those locations, they have found elongated skulls that date from say around somewhere in the in the region of around two thousand years ago. Um so is that just pure coincidence that they would these civilizations would build, you know, near enough in a in a straight line up the continent their things? Is that like an sort of the natural um I suppose surroundings and all the rest of it that would make you do that? Or is there something that we're missing there of why that was done? Well, it, it seems to be a band of energy. We actually had some, uh, you know, some people on on a tour with us who were very good at at dowsing energy, like earth energies, and um, right. they that's what they said. They said there was a band of, that was around a hundred meters across that went went straight down through this this um, this line, and we we fought, on the tour. We followed the line, and they were able to establish at each location we went to at all of these megalithic sites that there was this band that was going right through it. You have something similar in England called the Michael and Mary lines, yeah. which are energy lines too. Yeah. Um, so, I suppose that potentially kind of fits in with like this idea of frequency and and things like that as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, when we think of civilizations, or uh, we think about building nets to water or yeah. where the land's rich. But what what's so en enigmatic about a lot of these structures in South America is they're in the middle of nowhere, mm. or they're halfway up a mountain and seemingly inaccessible. Why build these structures there? Mm. And that's you know seems a good explanation to me that there's some significance to this. Yeah, they made, like that's the only place you can build structures of that sort. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely wild. I love it, Brian. We've not done. Mm -hmm. I think we've done an hour already, Brian. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have to let you go. Could talk to you all night, but you have a life. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating, though, Brian. Thank, yeah. thank you very much. Absolutely, it's been an absolute treat, hasn't it? Definitely, yes. Um, is there anything you want well, to say before we pleasure. go? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, why don't you contact me in six months and and uh, we can do this again? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd love to. Where, where's your next big trip going to be, Brian? Your next tour? Uh, e- Egypt in March. Cool. Egypt in March. Let's get saving, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Excellent. Well, there you are. All the links are in the in the show notes, eavesdroppers, and the, the website's up on, if you're watching the video, you can see the website there, hiddeninkatours.com. Uh, stay on the line, Brian, for us for one mm-hmm. minute while we play ourselves out. And um, thanks for coming. We'll catch you on the flip side. Don't touch that dial. Right, then we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That's our chat with Brian Forster from Hidden Inca Tours. Wonderful. Yeah, it was good. I'm relatively... uh... Um, new to Brian, but I've enjoyed quite a few of his videos now on the old YouTube-y, and uh, I've enjoyed them and enjoyed some of his ideas and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly interesting if he has um, discovered a new species of human. Yeah, yeah. We we sort of we didn't get much. We left it a bit late because there's there's so many things to talk about in yeah. the, in this realm that. You know, we we had just sort of had the last sort of ten minutes on the Paracas, didn't we? The elongated skulls, but mm. um, hopefully he'll come back. Well, know, let's, let's get let's get him back for the uh, summer solstice. Summer solstice, yes. Oh, yeah. Might be busy then, but we'll get him back. <laughs> be, uh... He said, he said it, not us. Yeah, right, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to come back now. No, a gentleman and a scholar. I, fu- I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed that one. I thought it was a good good start to the new year. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Happy uh, New Year, East Jumpers. Happy New Year. What did you do? Oh, I thought you were asking the youth office. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I stayed in. Um, I had a little nap. Played some board games. Um, what board games? Uh, one was uh, Dogman, I think. And that was uh, based on a children's book, and it was extremely difficult. About cri- is it about a cryptid? I think so, yeah. Dogman yeah. is a cryptid. It yeah. had some kind of monster involved, so that was quite um, uh, difficult. Um, we also played... Um, something a bit like Pictionary where you choose three things and you have to draw it and the other people have to guess. I forget what it's called. Win, lose, or draw. Like Was that. Danny Baker hosting? He was. He did oh, pop in, yeah. Shane Ritchie. Seven. No, it's Danny Baker. Yeah. Was uh, Did Tony Slattery come around for that? No. <laughs> not well, Tony Slattery. Is he not? No, he had, he had some kind of um, breakdown in like the early 90s. Oh, shit. Did a programme on about him, yeah. Um, recently, I watched a documentary about him. He, <laughs> he like he got like uh, seriously addicted to. I think he might still be addicted to alcohol, oh. uh, but like seriously addicted to like cocaine, and um, would regularly throw TVs out of his like million pound apartment on the banks of the Thames. And eventually, like the police knew him by name and said, "You know, Tony, can you stop throwing TVs out of your <laughs> your bedroom window?" Yeah, kind of thing. Shit, well, you gotta have a hobby, haven't you? Yeah, and I think he's just recently. I can't remember. It might have been just before the the uh, pandemic that he uh, had started doing kind of tours again. He wasn't doing stand up. It was more he was doing stuff around um, the aerodynamics of televisions. Yeah, he was doing stuff around uh, like his life story and that. Yeah, an evening with. What did you do for New Year? Um, for New Year. Or Christmas, yeah. New, New Year, Year. 
Um, Christmas is in the past. It's dead. Oh it's dead to me. It's gone. Okay. I've already took my tree down today. Okay. Um, sorry. You know. Finn. Sorry, turn it off. <laughs> for New Year, I went to my bro's house and I drank six or seven cans of ale and uh, the kids played uh, Nintendo Switch in another room until all their faces went pink <laughs> and then we went home about nine o'clock. And radiation. Yeah. God, what time did you get there? Early start? Four. Four. Oh, blooming it's heck. Nine, oh, we had a curry as well. Went for a curry. So Mrs. Driving then? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You don't sound too sure. She was, she was. <laughs> Someone drove me. <laughs> Seven years. I woke up at home. Yeah. Only small cans. Yeah. What did you do for New Year's, you filthy pig? I, uh, it was Saturday, wasn't it? Saturn's Day. No, Friday. Friday. It was, it was Friday. Friday, so that's not my night to take the kids to bed. So um, at kiddies' bedtime, the missus threw me the remote. She <laughs> cast... Cast the remote to me. Right. While she took the kids to bed and say, uh, find a film for us to watch. Hootenanny. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is our fate. Oh, so right. uh, we got Disney for Christmas. Oh. Disney Plus. Yeah. Treat yourselves. Yeah. My treat for the family. Nice. nice. Is Predator on there? Um, Predators is on there. Right. Okay. With yeah. the, the pianist guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, random Terminator films. And I, I started at A. <laughs> in the entire Disney film catalogue, and I got to be Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. <laughs> so we watched that. Very good. And it's a fucking wicked film. Still stands up. Still yeah. stands up. It's all in the reflexes. I've not watched it for years. <laughs> Watch it. It's a great Has film. Has it got Kim Cattrall in it? Is it, yes. that, is it got, yeah. Kim Cattrall. Cattrall. <laughs> Should have been Garstang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The girl with the green eyes. Yeah, so, yeah, she was fit, wasn't she, as well? She was in 24, was she? As well, back in the day? No, that's, she was, I don't think she was born when was she Big not? Trouble in Little China came out. It was in the mid-80s, wasn't it? 86? Was it maybe was like one then. Uh, good film. Lopan is the, uh, the, protect, the antagonist. Right, I can't remember any of, I can, all I can remember is Kurt Russell. Yeah, Jack Burton. Fancy and Kim Control. Yeah. And something about Chinatown. Yeah, it's it's just a rampage. Uh, is it like Chinatown. have some kind of is it like supernatural? Yeah, is it like dimensions and stuff in it? Yeah, a low pan can like go through walls. Is that what it is? Yeah, right. like light comes out of his mouth. Shit. Oh. And he, he's, he's a clip where he's in the wheelchair and he's like an old man and he's trying to explain <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> that visualization. You know, he's shaking. He's, he's fucking 2,000 years old. That's right. for the uh, one for the YouTube viewers yeah. there. Yeah. Odyssey. Kurt Russell goes like, I, what's going on here? I just don't get it. And, you know, Lopan goes, uh, what's the universe wasn't created for you to get it, Mr. Burton. <laughs> loads of great little one-liners going I bet going there through. was uh, loads of chimpanzee laughing and... Hogs on foreheads. How many times did you do that during that film? I laughed all the way through. It's a quality film. <laughs> and what was Excellent. your wife doing? Just she loves it. Oh, she was watching. How it can well. how can anyone not enjoy Big Trouble in Little China? Was she ninety oh, minutes? Was she like this? Nope. Oh, no, right. no, I didn't see her picking up the uh, the screen face ache machine. Right. Okay. Call them. Smartphone. That's smartphone. Yeah. No, I think she actually watched it all. Okay. I was thoroughly engrossed. Nice. And um, we followed that. Well, interestingly, 
the film finished. It's only 90 minutes. Yeah. And uh, she said, TV's not working. <laughs> so she was trying to watch terrestrial TV. <laughs> and the aerial's broken. Oh, right, okay. And I said, is this the first time you've tried to watch terrestrial TV since last New Year's Eve? You mean like analogue TV? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, the it's digital, isn't it? Switch that up, no, the area. Oh, the, yeah, the, digital, yeah, digital one, the, yeah. the stuff that comes down the tube. Yeah, through the, <laughs> the, the light pipe. I said, no, no, I've watched TV. <laughs> we don't. We don't watch terrestrial TV ever. No. It's all... Streamed. Pr- streamed. streamed yeah. yeah. I said, what are you trying to do? Put hooting on it or something. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. I said, go through iPlayer. It'll be on the iPlayer live. Yeah. And then I said, uh, anyway, I want to get rid of TV license. And she went, fucking ape shit. Why? You're not getting rid of that. No, no, I don't want them knocking at my door. <laughs> I mean, what, the TV license goons? So they don't knock at your door. Only if you stop paying and don't tell them. Mm-hmm. I say it's 160 quid a year. Well, I don't want to pay 160 quid a year to be brainwashed and propagandised. It's not, and we haven't used it all year. So it's a battle I'm fighting. I'm hoping I'm going to win that one. Well, it doesn't... It doesn't. Since I'm paying for Netflix... Amazon Prime and Disney Plus now. Yeah. You know. How much is Disney a month? I don't know. Seven, seven. I think. Something like that. Seven, seven quid a month. So, uh, and I think, I believe you can purchase it for a year for less yeah. like, in one go, like maybe like 60 quid. I think so. Um, I said it's, we'll get it for, for December for, and January for Christmas. That's it. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is I was just going to make a comparison with um, license fee. License fee. Well, you know, so, and you get all that great content with Disney. Um, and what's the BBC got that you can access all the time? Uh, and she goes, and I, I want to listen to the radio. <laughs> the, the fucking clue's in the name. It's TV license, not radio license. You don't need a TV license to listen to Radio 1, you dickhead. I think you do. I think you do, yeah. No, you don't. Go on the website. Oh, right, okay. You don't, the only thing do you need, need a license TV... for the website. The only thing you need a TV license for is watching or recording live TV. Oh, right, okay. Or watching the iPlayer. Is a black and white TV license still cheaper? 50 quid. Wow, shit. Just turn turn your colours down. Anyway, it comes out of the joint account, so you're not turning it off. Right. Because I used to pay for it. I think Um, I know someone who's stopped paying or moved into a house and never just... And they sent him a letter and they said, right, you know, we'll come and check... Just like never answered the door. No, so don't fuck off. Yeah. Who do you think you are? Yeah, basically. I went down a YouTube rabbit hole once watching videos of it's oh, called yeah. a, it's a playlist called TV License Goons. Yes. <laughs> I think if you go to the Armist Inquisition on YouTube, you'll find it. The playlist there, right? Uh, I maybe saved a special playlist for people. Nice. And yeah, you just shut the fucking door, and it don't matter. I mean, the arrow don't fucking work. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's like. But what about the detective vans? I'm just trying to think. <laughs> the only thing I would probably watch is maybe is like the World Cup. Oh yeah, that'll be back end of this year, right? Or like the Euros or tennis. I'd watch Wimbledon, but I'm probably less. I like tennis, um, but I'm probably less inclined to watch that now because you know there's nobody good because like Andy Murray's got no hip. He's British, really. Um, I suppose there's the Radu Kanu. yeah Radu Kanu, isn't there? Actually, I did watch her in the final, and she was she was good. Um, obviously, so yeah, I suppose that's the only thing I would watch it for is, is live stuff. I've watched the occasional 
bit of news, maybe. <laughs> but that's it. But only because there was nothing else you wanted to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or do you turn the news... You know, it's not like you watch the 6 o'clock news every night. Or news under the hammer. No. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, it has... Over the last couple of years, it's, we just watch, like, Netflix. Now, you know, sometimes now TV, if we've got a thing for it, or um, Disney, or, you know, just all the basic streaming. So now things. you've got Disney. The world has opened up to you. We mm. watched Dope Sick over Christmas, which oh, is yes. fantastic. I think I think you would enjoy that, particularly. Yeah, what's it about? It's about uh, Purdue Pharma and mm. OxyContin marketing. The Oxy Express. Yeah, it's um, it's good. You'll I I instantly drew some parallels that you will instantly draw way before I did uh, with sorts of references that Purdue Pharma came up with to try and try and boost the sales of the drug. So they made up some conditions like um, breakthrough pain. Mm. So if you were only on like twenty milligrams and you, it wasn't working or wasn't lasting twelve hours. They would sort of say, "Oh, you must have breakthrough pain." So here, have forty milligrams. Yeah, and they were pump it up. They weren't effort addicts. They were always in pain. The uh, the marketers did that with uh, Tylenol. Did they? Right. Or paracetamol. Yeah. Oh, paracetamol. It used yeah. to be one. Right. And then they said, "Why don't you do an advert where you take two? You double your sales." Mm. Now everyone so, takes two. Now everyone takes two. Right. Tylenol is that Tylenol. like um, acetaminophen? <laughs> it's the American version of paracetamol. I was going to say, uh, what's our one beginning with P that's expensive? Pe- not penis. <laughs> pa- para, pa... Panadol. Panadol, is it? I don't know, that's a brand name, isn't it? That's what I mean, yeah, isn't that paracetamol? Yeah, Panadol. Maybe. Could be. I'm pretty sure it is. It's not all your lemsips and shit. Aspirin mm. is not... It's just tree bark. There's no money in this shit anymore. 33 billion for Pfizer this year. <laughs> on the old shit. magic juice. That's where the money is now. Get on your subscription, your, yeah. your vaccine subscription, one every three or four months for the rest of your life. Only if you're like experiencing Netflix. breakthrough infections. <laughs> yeah, or uh, deadly variants or political scarians. So having experienced a breakthrough infection, mm. I have to say, now I do feel immortal. <laughs> <laughs> My, well, save it, I might save it for the COVID news, or do you want me to talk about it now? Talk about what? My brother's uh, sweaty hand. Oh, go on. One sweaty hand. Uh, he, he's got. He's, he had, he had it, and um, he keeps waking up at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and he, he goes downstairs because he's all sweaty. But it's just one hand. Wakey, wakey, <laughs> hands off, snakey. <laughs> just one hand, sweaty. I think. Uh, I think that's a symptom of long COVID. Yeah, yeah. Long COVID. Which hand is it? Uh, I, I didn't ask. I was uh. laughing too much. The <laughs> <laughs> <Good> job, Bob. <laughs> Oh, is, it, is, it, is it life-threatening? He seems fine, other than the uh, waking up and feeling sick randomly, yeah? Yeah, that's He's not pregnant, is he? I take it that's a breakthrough as well. Breakthrough case. Uh, yes, I guess, yeah. I imagine so. I don't I don't think he'd had his, his uh, number three. You know, get, bo- get boosted now! <laughs> that was quite good, that. <laughs> Maybe that was my... I wasn't allowed to get boosted when I got COVID. I wasn't old enough. Good, good. Yeah. Doing yourself a favour. But I'm thinking, I mean, he, he wasn't one of them, but I'm, like hearing people on the grapevine sort of um, beginning to say no, and especially if they've had it, and just saying, why do I need a, a vaccine if I've had it? Well, I think a lot of people are, are seeing the pattern mm. now, and they'll be going, well, I may as well wait till the fourth one. 
I, I don't think I can have the booster after infection for 90 days or something. Yeah, that's what they say. So by March time, where where might we be? It might be, oh, you need the mm. fourth one by then. Well, do I need the third and the fourth? I know, it's bar me, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, just stop trashing your immune systems. You don't need them. You've had it. Mm. Fuck's sake. The booster knocked my dad for six. Did it? Yeah, it made him really rough for like two weeks. Really? Yeah. Bloody hell. Is he AZ, AZ, Pfizer? Um, Pfizer all the way. All right. Mm. As far Pfizer as, all as the far way! As, as far as I know. <laughs> Pfizer bells, <Yeah>. Pfizer bells. <laughs> it, uh, I've, heard, I've heard that the Pfizer one has had more of an immuno response in terms of like making people feel ill. And it don't, I don't know. Yes, yeah, Who don't. knows? Who knows? Phil, would you rather be injected with Pfizer or Tizer? <laughs> Tizer. <laughs> Every day of the week. Sugar. Sugar, yeah. All right, come on. Yeah. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this, and my favourite is word of mouth. Tell people to share a link and say, listen to this, you fuck. If you like podcasts. Yeah. You like like long skulls? (laughs) Fucking listen to this shit. Yeah, for ten minutes. Hey, Steve, (laughs) you like long skulls? Get this in your ear hole. That kind of thing. (laughs) Spread, <coughs> spread the infection of the Amish Inquisition by your mouth and mm. tell your friends and family about us. Follow us on social media too. Ben, what's your favourite way? My favourite way, I would say, would be to join the Discord server and commune with us. Oh, is that why you're in there all the time? I, you know, I'm, my time is precious. <laughs> oh, you idiot. Um, <laughs> subscribe. To both YouTube and Odyssey. Um, Hit the bell. Smash that like button. (laughs) Smash (laughs) smash it into pieces, you filthy pervs. And uh, leave us a review. I think we need more reviews, um, personally. (coughs) Yeah, the the, the YouTube gods look favourably. (laughs) What the fuck? Don't pretend it hasn't. They look favourably on reviews. I am the god of YouTube. And I summon the wrath of the bullshit bollocks. Yeah, yeah, nicely done. <laughs> yeah, uh, reviews. So they look favourably on reviews. You get lots of reviews. Uh, you know, they say, "Oh, this, this, this might not be worth censoring. Maybe we'll promote this." Is that how it works? Is that how it works? You know, it's black magic, isn't it? Who yeah. knows how it works? Um, allegedly, uh, we we got an email, didn't we, from Spotify as well, saying that they're going to be adding reviews. Oh yeah, but it doesn't see. I, I checked at the time, and it hadn't happened. Um, it's, a, it's a gradual unfurling it, right, of the okay. review process. <coughs> so this, some podcasts have it. So they'll go like Rogan, then us, <laughs> yeah. then Jordan Peterson. Yeah. By the end of the year, maybe you'll be able to give us a star review or just under the uh, <laughs> podcast artwork on Spotify. Yeah. Oh. That, so you know, do that when it's available. Buy some merch, like me. Look at that beautiful. Didn't even Sweatshirt. I didn't even get a employee discount on this. I paid full price, which you know, I'm gonna stay with um, the eavesdroppers on that one. Yeah, Matt's modelling the. Because I'm literally a communist. 
uh, authentic Armist Inquisition merch hoodie. Go to the show notes and uh, you'll find the link there for the Armist loot chest and you can get your, your literally a communist uh, hoodie, current grape T-shirts, three weeks to flatten the earth. Yeah. T-shirts are up there. That's a good way to support us. Um, artwork. Ben, pixels, mm. how many? Oh, Christ. Irrelevant, man. Stop saying that. I'm trying to get him to say that he, that he, he doesn't well, matter anymore. One by one. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. Don't, don't one block send of one by one. <laughs> a Minecraft homage. Minecraft homage. Shall I reveal? Uh, I made some artwork. Shall I reveal it? I think you should. I can see it this time. Yeah. There we go. Ooh, it's nice. It's, uh, I like the golden green. Yeah, do you think it, it pops? Just pop, pop. <laughs> so we've got uh, in the background there the purple is the uh, that is the picture that Nick uploaded to the Discord of the wall. Oh, and they're not the ones you can't slide a piece of paper between. Are they? They're the the polygonal masonry, Those polygonal yeah. ones, yeah. weird shaped blocks. That's sort of the background, and then we've got the uh, Temple of the Sun. I think that is at Machu Picchu, right? The one where on the solstice, can you see that shadow down the right hand side of the causeway the steps? Mm-hmm. It turns into like a snake on the summer solstice, and there is a snake's head at the bottom of each. What the fuck? Wow, that's that's some planning. Serious planning, yeah. Uh, We've got on the right, bottom right, that is the jaguar carved out of the pillar in uh, Gebekli Tepe. What is it? Pillar 43 in Enclosure D, maybe? No, that's the vulture vulture pillar. I'm not up to to the the, uh, that pillar yet. But you are reading a book about Gebekli Tepe. Yeah, Martin Sweatman's book, yeah, on Gebekli Tepe. I think it's called Prehistory Decoded. That's the one. But it, that's an excellent book. We'll have to see if you'll be uh, willing to come on. It'd be a good guess. Yeah. And uh, and then on the left, we have the Paracas. We've got a, a reconstructed, computer-generated uh, image of the, the Coneheads, yes, from Peru. <laughs> nice. So not look very happy, does he? No, he doesn't, does he? Well, he is dead. <laughs> He's dead and he's pursing his lips. Computer generated. So that reminds. So we need a title, don't we? We need a title for the oh, job. you know, right, for the, the YouTube, clickbait, the oh. YouTube clickbaiting. Clickbait. I've got my quill. <laughs> the clickbait title for this. Uh, Elon. Elon. <laughs> well, we've already done solved on the other one. So should we just do it again? We say elongate skulls solved. <laughs> no. Polygonal masonry. Um. Sacred frequencies, elongated skulls, all solved within 50 minutes. Yeah, it's it's got to be about a snap. It's got to pop, hasn't elongated it? Elongated skulls, found or bound? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. Oh, my God. Elon Musk dated <laughs> skulls. Found, found or Bound. Found. That actually makes no sense now. I've listened to it again. <laughs> are they, are they, were they found? Or... Well, they have been found. They are found, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> what rhymes with bound and that means that they're, they're like. Uh... Sound! <laughs> kind of goes in with a bit a of. A little thing. bit, yeah. Were they sound? Oh, not sounded. That would take you down a different kind of path. Clowned? Cloned. Or boned. <laughs> cloned or boned. <laughs> okay, it's cloned or boned. <laughs> cloned. Bind or... 
Human or Buman? <laughs> we are not good at this. Human or Bound? Bound Bound Human? Bound to be uh, authentic. <laughs> bound. <laughs> I'm going to make this. It's getting silly now. Come on. This is not a comedy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a philosophical one. <clears throat> yep. Um, anything else? What well, um, Discord? You mentioned Discord. Discord is the best place to uh, to come if you want to connect with us and yeah. uh, get involved with the community. You can um, send your show artwork there. You can send us video clips and audio links in the news sections. Uh, guest suggestions you can get. Brian was a guest suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, next week's guest is a is a guest suggestion. We've had several. Yeah, we are Sh- Harry Shapiro. Yep, we're implementing these and... suggestions. Ben was, wasn't he? Ben from Uncharted and X was, yeah. Was uh, we've had a no, few no, from Discord, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've all been really good, and there have been people that I wasn't familiar with um, who I would have never thought of. Yeah, you can request a birthday shout-out on the Discord if you've got a birthday coming up. Um, you can give uh, jingle requests, send us memes for Instagram, focus chi requests. And the 100% hit rate with those, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like scary. If you have, maybe you've got a job interview coming up or you're suffering from depleted chi in the form of a health condition or someone you know is and you want our community to focus our chi in your direction, you can pop that in the Discord and uh, we will implement that and it is 100% effective. Yeah, let us know how it goes. If <laughs> so you far. Request that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other ways to become a producer? <sighs> Get, uh, toss us a coin. Toss a coin to yeah, toss a coin, you know, because oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Do it for the lads, lads, lads. Yep. If you go to uh, thearmsinquisition.com, you can find the PayPal button there and you can um, give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation or uh, donations at the level of £50 or above grant you executive producer status. Yeah, it'd that- be great to get, you know, boots on the ground in some of these places. Like Peru. <laughs> we already have had boots on the ground. Yeah, I, Nicholas. Yeah, well, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. he said. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, throw some fucking money at us. Only you listening at home can... Save Plotland. Keep the shit show going. Yeah. yeah. Got some major up, uh, upgrades in the works as mm. far as yes. kit. kit goes. Streaming kit, hardware. Tech. Tech. Yeah, want to improve the video quality of the streams. And uh, this requires money, financing. Yes, fortunately. So, yeah, for a new uh, streaming PC. Because the laptop, you could fry a fucking egg on and it's going to die at any time, I think. So we need to upgrade. So if you can spare us anything, if you think this podcast is valuable and you can spare us a fiver here or there or a tenner there, uh, you know, if a small proportion of you listening did that, it would go a long way to covering the, the cost of the new machine. Absolutely, which... we'll put it all in a big whiskey jar, and then at the end we can break it and buy a new, <laughs> a new a new laptop or a new desktop. Yeah, that's the plan. Alright, shall we move on? Moving on. Oh god, we've got to thank the producers, haven't oh. we? Yeah. God, it's been now, I've had two weeks off, I've oh. forgotten what we're supposed to be doing. Two weeks? Yeah, Christmas. It's time, isn't it? It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Let's thank the producers for episode 213. We have mostly New Year's, Rona Kesson, Slicko, and Anonymous. Thank you. You're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So 
amazing in their love. Literally. The best mate. It's a miracle. The jewels. The currants. The grape. The homophobe. The winds. The asthma. The corn chance. The number 11. The blind man. The fallen on the horizon. The cripple and the mother. Let me pick you in. From hell. I don't get it. Never will. We had uh, the New Year's honours honors list released. Oh, we did? Yeah, got some highlights for the New Year's honours list. <coughs> Completely unpredictable, this. Professor Chris Whitty and oh, Professor yes. Jonathan Van Tam. That's Next the, slide, please. Are they going to be Knights of the Realm? That's uh, Chief Medical Officer and Deputy Chief Medical Officer. Over. Who became household names during the COVID-19 pandemic have been knighted in the New Year honours list. Mm. Dr. Jenny Harris, Chief Executive of the UK Health Security Agency. And Dr. June Rain, Head of the Vaccines Regulator, the MHRA, yep. becoming Dames. The Chief Medical Officers for Scotland and Wales, Gregor Smith and Frank Atherton, are also given knighthoods. Chief Scientific Advisor Patrick Valance is elevated to the Order of the Bath, because he's already a sir, he's already a knight, he's an Order of the Bath. And just to put the final cherry on the cake. Cherie on the cake. Tony Blair is knighted, being appointed to the Order of the Garter. Unlike the main New Year's honours list, which is advised on by the Prime Minister's office, the Order of the Garter is by a royal appointment. Ooh. Oh, wow. Who's, who's, what? <laughs> so it's handpicked by the Queen, Tony Blair. That's right. quite interesting, isn't it? She would have done that. Yeah. Are we on there? No. <laughs> Afraid not. Did um, who's the behavioural spy spy B woman? Did she get on there? What's her name? Mitchy. Susan Mickey. The yeah, that one. Literally a communist. <laughs> yeah. No, she's not on there. No, she's not on there. Maybe next year. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, she's uh, yeah spy M. Is it spy B? Not sure. Well, well done to all those guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you earned it. Um, right, let's move on. Testing, 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 Mortally. Injected with nanobots. If you want to participate in our society fully, you got to get vaccinated. <coughs> Fuck off. If you can be vaccinated and you refuse to, that's a selfish act. This is our line in the sand. We had a collaboration with some Chinese com- uh, Chinese uh, scientists. But if we're all unmasked, we're actually less free. By next year, hopefully, transitioning this virus from pandemic to endemic. We drum in that messaging around the danger of COVID pretty diligently for a full two-week period of sustained propaganda. Our efforts to address the global pandemic. I wish we could vaccinate against stupidity. Every vaccination brings us hope. Will you be 
be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. Being a good, responsible COVID citizen is something we should all uh, aspire to. That's not in the spirit or in, or, or in the letter of these rules. More lives this year than any other year for the past 100 years. It's not going to allow us to go completely back to normal. Anal swab tests in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. Because everything bored, we want to have fun. But I can't say if you're not wearing a face mask. Two million people have to die. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Seems it's a new year, I played the extended cut. Yeah, it feels like 2021. (laughs) Yeah, heavy. Speaking of Tony Blair, Mm -hmm. he was in the press this week. Um, He was out in force just before Christmas. He's got a message for uh, the unclean, pure bloods like myself. (laughs) Frankly, if 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 you're not vaccinated at the moment and you're, you're eligible and you've got no health reason for not being vaccinated, you're not just irresponsible. I mean, you're an idiot. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, that is, truthfully, you are. I mean, because this Omicron variant is so uh, benign, <laughs> mild, struggling for the word there, isn't he? Yeah. Contagious. You know, if you're unvaccinated and you're in circulation, you're going to get it. And and that's, that's what's going to put, you know, that is going to put a lot of strain on the, on, on the health service. I mean, almost half the people in... The ICU are unvaccinated. And then it's really important. We, we Now, we shouldn't target these people who are unvaccinated in a heavy-handed way, but we should be <laughs> trying to go after them and persuade them. And you know, maybe all sorts of reasons, but honestly, it is in their own interest, never mind the public interest, for them to get vaccinated. And then yeah. finally, we've got, to, we've got to redouble the efforts to get vaccination out into the third world. You're not just irresponsible. I mean, you're an idiot. Classic political U-turn in the same (laughs) You should really go after these people with a heavy hand, but you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's no no nuance there, is there? There's no risk-benefit calculation. All right, Tony, what about the people under 40 who got the AstraZeneca? Well, that's me. Yeah. We can't have it now, can you? Why? Because the risk-benefit calculation went against vaccination with that particular vaccine. Mm. In short order from mm. it being released. Yeah, these, it is. Yeah, I remember. These guys are fucking <coughs> spinning a yarn. They have no idea what's going to happen over the next year once you've had your fifth and sixth and seventh dose. Mm. You know, but, you know, he's just a prick and uh, he's a war criminal. Sir prick. Yeah, and... Uh, I signed the petition today. I had 200,000 signatures last time I checked for him to be stripped of his knighthood. Within, that's within 24 hours wow. of it being announced. Yeah. Very divisive figure. He, he was quite mad how he got through the inquiry, really. It was kind of touch and go, wasn't it, as to whether or not he would even appear in it, I think, I seem to remember. But it was, was it on the basis that he couldn't incriminate himself or something? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. It's a stitch up. It always is. It's mm. you know, powerful people very rarely get their comeuppance. But that doesn't mean you have to listen to him. And I'm not listening to him. He's a prick. Can't please Sorry. all the people all the time. <laughs> um, what's his name? Peter Alpenshaw. He's a member of Nerve Tag. Oh, oh that's such God. a great name. It's like almost like um, Resident Evil style. <laughs> yeah. 
It is like a pharma company from Resident Evil. Yeah, I think Nerve is is a conglomerate in a, an old manga thing. Oh, what's it? Uh, I'll put it in Discord. It's some sort of. It's a bit like Sage. It's so, it's one of the scientific committees that feeds into Sage about new and infectious diseases. Nerve tag. And anyway, uh, Dr. Peter Openshaw from Nerve Tag. Uh, was on BBC Prep for Breakfast this week, uh, underlining just how transmissible the Omicron is. You know, we've had um, several iterations of this virus going through different stages of its evolution, and it's ended up being so infectious that it it almost needs just a whiff of infected breath, and you and you can get infected. <laughs> whiff of infected breath. A whiff. A whiff of infected breath, and you're gonna get it. Yeah, no, but it's it's probably a good one to get in it. It's a good well, yeah, apparently variant. It um, reproduces in the in the upper respiratory tract rather than the lungs, which makes it more trans- transmissible, oh, right. less less so, dangerous. Right. Okay. This started with a, a research group out of Hong Kong, and I believe yeah, over there's, Christmas, I think. there's been another five, I think, studies confirming this. That's um, rather than where the delta seems to reproduce in the bronchioles and the mm. lower airways where it can do more damage. This is more lo- located in the nasal pharynx and then, area. Yeah, that kind of links with what Peter McCulloch was saying, wasn't he, around um, basically just washing your nose out <laughs> with It's good, with it's really antiseptic good. Iodine. <laughs> it makes me yeah. really pleased that we're following the science. So, you know. Yeah, but he was he's like being sort of poo-pooed, hasn't he? McCulloch, yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he's $150,000 in the hole to defend his medical license. Right. He's been taken off Twitter. His interview on Rogan has been taken off YouTube as well. I didn't think they w- went on YouTube Rogan stuff anymore. Yeah, clips of it do. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, but no, not right. him. Right, okay. And same with Robert Malone, who was on the other day, YouTube of, of Canada. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, Robert Malone, was taken off Twitter the day before the JRE episode came out. Nothing to see there. And now, That's yeah. not organised censorship at all. No, yeah, they've got wind, haven't they? He's on and yeah. snipped him before he could. Twitter's got a lot to answer for in all this. The uh, What's the name of that thing the BBC started? The uh, News Alliance oh, Initiative. Yeah. I'm blanking on it. Mm. But yeah, the BBC set up this thing with Reuters and that early on in the pandemic that they, they, these guys were going to be, uh, you know, the... the uh, Defenders of truth and uh, trusted media outlets and all this yeah. lot. It's a joke. How dangerous is it to just let people decide what they think about stuff? Oh, you can't be. What if you stoke vaccine hesitancy? Well, you might By saying not. that kids <laughs> get myocarditis at an, a rather alarming rate. Mm. I don't know. Let the people decide. Yeah, in an ideal world. Um, speaking of people who have been banned off pretty much every platform, Professor Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Oh, yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd heard something about him. Children's Health Defence. He was on the Michaela Peterson podcast this week. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about the liability shield <coughs> that pharmaceuticals companies get, because this is what he does for a living. He sues um, pharma companies, energy companies, people who, like, Big multinationals that pollute mm. the water. He's won billions of dollars in lawsuits against multinationals. Monsanto, right? Like 
$500 million awards and stuff. So he's well-versed in uh, the legal system. He's a professor, emeritus professor. Oh, but he's an anti-vaxxer. Well, he's not an anti-vaxxer. Well, according to him, he says he's not an anti-vaxxer. But uh, he was on the Michaela Peterson talking a podcast talking about the liability shield and, you know, why are these companies so eager to jab kids who are at virtually no risk of this disease? Mm. Well, they have to give it to kids because here's why. They, they cannot market this vaccine without having immunity shield. Oh, I mean, I sue pharmaceutical companies for a living, and I have enough criminal activity that I know about Pfizer at this point and Moderna. If they went ahead and marketed a vaccine where I, where they can where they end up killing people or injuring them, and I can sue them, well, they'd be through. So they're never going to market a vaccine, allow people access to a vaccine, an approved vaccine, without getting liability protection. Now, the the emergency use authorization vaccines have liability protection under the Prep Act and the CARES Act. Following it so far, yeah. So you can't sue them. While they're under emergency while release, under e, if a vaccine is given EUA, it's automatic automatically has a liability shield. So if something goes wrong to you once you've taken it, you can't. There is a federal system, the vaccine court, you can go through. Yep, which doesn't offer a great deal, and it's all sorts of bureaucracy, and you've got to prove causation and all this stuff. They'll do jump through as many hoops as they can to avoid paying you out. And he's saying, you know, pharma companies won't release this or market it. Is the key word. They won't market it without having an immunity shield from legal action, which they have under EUA. But we can't stay under EUA forever. So what comes next? Oh, as long as you take an emergency use, you can't sue them. Once they get approved, now you can sue them, unless they can get it recommended for children. What? Because, because all vaccines that are recommended, officially recommended for children, get it liability protection even if an adult gets that vaccine that's why they're going after kids they know this is going to kill and injure a huge number of children so if if the fda cdc recommends this vaccine as a childhood vaccine Mm. like the measles and all the rest of it it's granted immunity immunity wow (laughs) even if you're 65 and you take it it's classed as a childhood vaccine and you get liability immunity and you can't sue them what about the kids but they need to do it for the liability protection. And here's how they know that it's going to injure kids. They, during the Pfizer study, they only tested it on 1,300 children. And one of those we now know was a girl called Maddie Gary. And we only know about this because she and her family came forward and told them what, told us what happened. Maddie Gary got the vaccine. She immediately went into seizures. She is now in a wheelchair for life, and she needs a feeding tube to eat. So Pfizer, you know, because Pfizer only tests on 1,300 kids, it is stuck with the with the extrapolation. And one out of every 1,300 kids is going to be injured like that, an injury worse than death. Pfizer did not report her injury. Instead, it said she had a stomachache. So that's what they reported to the FDA. Wow. Jeez. I've seen the, the video of this girl and her, well, it's not the girl talking, it's her mother. They were meeting with a senator or some sort of house representative, maybe from Florida or somewhere, wherever she lives, talking about what happened. And uh, But the mother's in bits and basically says they, they were completely abandoned. Mm. Pfizer completely abandoned them. 
when this happened. Because it's bad news. It's just no good, is it? We can't have this happening. No. So I thought that was interesting. I wasn't... I n- never heard that that before, that if, if something's recommended as a childhood vaccine, no. in the States anyway, then, then the liability shield comes back, even on an approved vaccine. Do you remember GSK and their flu vaccine that caused narcolepsy in no. a significant number of people? It was, was withdrawn. Right. Was this not, was for swine flu. Swine flu, it was nurses. It was right. the nurses who got the narcolepsy. Yeah. It was quite late onset. Mm. I mean, it wasn't like within six months. It, there were nurses today who still are still trying to get compensation from that. Yeah. Yeah. What is it, 12 years ago? Yeah. Trying to get compensation off the UK government for that swine, for that swine flu vaccine. That's the one that we ended up with uh, billions of doses, and there was a big scandal, wasn't there, amongst uh, all across Europe, because Europe had stockpiled billions of doses, or hundreds of Those millions of doses. Yeah, it was just the epidemic had disappeared because people stopped paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to make that mistake this time. Yeah, uh, keep getting your booster. We've ordered them. We paid for them. So, is this this must be the most number of people who've taken a vaccine? Even if you count all the well different flu vaccines, so a year's worth of flu vaccine, it'd be a drop in the ocean compared to the amount of people who've had this Pfizer jab or or even the AstraZeneca. I would imagine. I don't know. I don't know. I've not. I've not fact checked that. It's just a thought. Well, it definitely is. I mean, if you look at the, um, the, there's a famous bar graph of vaccine injuries over the last 20, sorry, 30 years since, I think it was 1990 when VAERS started, and it's just down like this, and then 2020 it falls through the roof. And, you know, people say, well, that's because we're giving out more doses. Still people being injured. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your percentage rate is going to be an interesting figure at some point. Yeah. Anyway, sticking with the kid jabs... The Magic Juice. Uh, we got an update from the Zoe app this mm. week. And uh, Tim Spector is away. I'm guessing it's, he's at St. Bart's where all those... Uh, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> the billionaires are at. David <laughs> Geffen. In the Caribbean. Yeah. All those billionaire yachts are. So we had his deputy in. I uh, didn't catch her name. Um, and uh, she mentioned something about um, jabbing kids, which I thought bird repeating from the Zoe app. So moving on now to think about children and vaccination. Um, Some really good news in the last week, just before Christmas, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation finally decided that the Pfizer COVID vaccine can be given to primary school-aged children if they are either themselves vulnerable or if they have a household contact, um, they're a household contact of someone who is immunocompromised. Um, So that's a great step forward and brings us more in line with other countries like the US, Spain and France, because oh, because other countries are doing it, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean that's complete nonsense. You shouldn't be saying that for a start. No, yeah. We've been vaccinating the over fives. That's how we got into the fucking lockdown because everyone else was doing it. Yeah, for some time now. Um, it's going to be a, a great help when schools go back as well, which is likely to bring another surge in cases. If you've got someone who's immunocompromised in your family circle, then it really makes sense um, to get the children in your family group vaccinated. Mm, I'll be vaccinating my children as soon as I can, um, as they need to be in school. And also vaccination will reduce the risk of long COVID, which is still there in school-aged children. Speaking as someone who does have an immunocompromised member of the household and also has a child who has had COVID recently, um, the impact was, and I cannot 
stress this enough minimal with no long covid situation for for any of us who who've had it um my daughter was ill for a couple of days if that obviously she was off school for 10 days um and everyone else who's had it again mild sore throat omicron symptoms effectively um so i don't know what the situation is in relation to what's just been said, because... You should be getting the, the vaccine. It's only one data point, isn't it? But I had no problem. Uh, you got to think about risk-benefit analysis again. Is um, getting your child vaccinated likely to, A, stop her contracting COVID, or B, stop her giving it to the immunocompromised person? Well, both of those things have already happened. It doesn't matter. So, well, uh, to prevent it from happening again, and and also having minimal impact. As far as I understand it, with the Omicron, it's pretty shit at stopping you getting it or passing it on. Right. Agreed? No? I thought it was like that for all of them. Well, yeah, but it's even worse for the Omicron. <laughs> okay. it's oh, even, because it's more... It's even more mismatched. Yeah. Well, it's more transmissible yeah. and it's more mismatched. Mm-hmm. The S protein that it, that it encourages you to create mm-hmm. because you, you can't have the AZ. It's got to be Pfizer or Moderna. Yeah. Uh, now, we're saying that if you if you have a child who lives with an immunocompromised person, you should take the vaccine. Where is the benefit for the young person? Your, the implication is that the young person should be used to protect the immunocompromised person in the household. And I'm not cool with that at all. Human shield. I think we've done enough to kids this last two years. I think it's the wrong There's way no around, benefit. isn't it? There's virtually no benefit. Well, this is the other thing, isn't it? That, the child. Yeah, that's what, that, there's no benefit to the or child. Or for the immunocompromised, because you're still going to get it and pass it on. Yeah, and uh, and the other thing as well is that you know the JCVI didn't recommend it unless they were sort of in, immunocompromised themselves. Um, yeah, the risk benefit analysis is not there. <laughs> yeah, so you know it's just like it's it's if you if you're fortunate to not, enough to have like a healthy child with no underlying sort of conditions, there's virtually nil um, risk, whereas. What is it, you know, in whatever they were sort of saying in Canada, it was like one in 5,000, one in six and a half thousand, something like that. Potentially you're getting myocarditis. So it's like a no-brainer. The JCVI is independent from government. Mm. And when they didn't give the answer the government wanted, they tossed it to the CMO, (laughs) who's a government appointee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort this out, Chris. Sorry, Sir Chris, now. Thanks for sorting that out. (laughs) We'll knight you in the new year. Yeah. It's not good. We shouldn't be throwing kids under the bus for uh, adults. Well, and again, you know, it's horrible. I'm sure younger people have died, but what is the average age of someone who dies from COVID? 82 in the UK. I know, I know. It's just balmy. It's above the age of average lifespan. Yeah. And in America, I don't know if it's the same over here, but the... The average person has four comorbidities. Yeah, I mean, I had three here. Is it three here? <laughs> yeah. So, what yeah. counts as a comorbidity, though? The list o- is o- increasing. O- obesity, right? diabetes, diabetes are the big ones, aren't they? Demen- they kind of come in hand in hand. Dementia. 
Mm. Like cancer. But there's a, there's a massive correlation with obesity because of the uh, cytokines are made in the in the fat cells. Yeah. So yeah. if you have more fat cells and you're fat or obese Cytokine or whatever, crash. Yeah. So you basically poison yourself, don't you? You start attacking yourself, yeah. your immune system. Uh, more important to take your vitamin D. Mm. See, vitamin D is an immune regulator and they help prevent cytokine storms. Storm, yeah, not crash. It's the opposite. <laughs> anyway, um, let's move on to uh, to Sweden because I brought this up a couple of weeks ago and I'm not sure you believed me, Matt, about people in Sweden voluntarily chipping themselves like fucking dogs. <laughs> so I have a chipping plant in my arm and I have programmed uh, the chip so that I have my COVID passport and on the chip. And the reason is that I always want to have it accessible. And when I read my chip, I just swipe my phone on the chip and then I unlock and it opens up. This is a PDF, which is my COVID passport. And this means that it's always accessible for me uh, or for anyone else really who wants to read me. Read me? That's creepy. That's kinky, isn't it? Just a good COVID citizen. For example, if I go to the movies or go to a shopping center, uh, then people will be able to check my status, even if I don't have my phone. How do you update it with all the additional boosters? <coughs> it's on the app. So I'm guessing you send a a message from the app to the chip. What's the point? Uh, it's, the, yeah, it's extra steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking do it. <laughs> that was uh, Hans Slobad. He's a chief disruption officer at epicenter which is a tech firm in sweden that's a fucking great job title <laughs> yeah chief disruption ops talking about disruptive technologies 100 euros it is to get the chip that's quite cheap yeah, yeah i mean i'm sure the dog was cheaper but yeah 100 yeah. euros quite you cheap. get it to say anything um i think you can do payments with it oh yeah i think you can uh open doors mm. to your own virtual prison cells <laughs> <laughs> These aren't the droids. But you could, this is the other thing, isn't it? With stuff like this, and to a certain extent, you know, even with like apps and your credit card, which does happen, I suppose, is that if the government makes a centralized database of these chips, they could just lock you out of your house, lock you out of your work, lock you out of your your money, uh, cancel your passport if that was ever put on it. Some kind of social credit score. Yeah, yeah, well, it would, it, 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 and that was, you had to have it, or it was given to you at birth, and everything was uploaded onto that. You get your salary paid into your arm. This exactly. is, uh, it's already in existence. Well, when you, you get chipped as a baby. No, apart from the, the social credit score. Oh, well, yeah, in China. Yeah. So Say things that the uh, your dear leaders don't like, and you will get a, a black mark on your social credit rating, mm. and then it might be harder for you to get a loan. Yeah. Or health insurance. Mm. Or it might cost you more. Your premiums might go up. Mm. The uh, interest you earn on your savings might go down. Well, there's a little bit of that already kind of built into the banking system. If you're a dick with money, you ain't going to get a credit card because you're, of your Experian yeah. dashboard. Yeah. So so I've, I've amplified that to you said the wrong thing on Twitter. Yeah. And mm. your Experian dashboard goes down. Oh, yeah, on credit, Weibo. credit rating agencies are the, like the first step. Mm. And it's getting more, you see more and more stuff on YouTube, uh, advertisements. What's it called? There's a few payment companies out there now. You, if you behave nicely, you'll get a discount. Mm. 
And it, it's social engineering. That's basically. like the driving thing, isn't it? The black box. Oh, yeah. Same thing as a black driving. box, yeah. And he, like, controls your driving. Yeah, let us monitor you. As what are you doing? As focused. Don't leave the house between the hours of 11 and uh, 5 a.m. Yeah. Be a good boy, and we, we'll, we'll charge you a bit less. Exactly, yeah. Smart meters, gas and electric. Yeah. Well, smart meters, smart thermostats. Whoa. Uh, you're, uh, what they call it? It's not... Uh, what's Nest. The... Nest, yeah. Hive. Yeah. Nest you have used your so gas much. credits this used, week. Yeah. Your carbon credits, you are going to be charged an extra <laughs> uh, 30 pounds per pound of carbon you burn. Really? Yeah. Or we'll, we'll just restrict you. Yeah. You know, no no more gas for a week. Mm. Maybe you'll learn. Ah, <laughs> oh, mate. This is, it's weird because it doesn't sound as far-fetched No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's weird, <laughs> isn't it? It's coming. <laughs> and it's all been written down. It's, oh, gosh. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, Liverpool, the streets of Liverpool this week. Oh, oh yeah. God. I honestly thought this was photoshopping. <laughs> this is not a joke. Look at this photo. If you haven't seen these people around, uh, this was the photo from Liverpool Street in London. They're going around. Uh, so as you guys remember, a year ago, year and a half ago, when the government uh, introduced these uh, set of new jobs. So the government is our job creators. They're creating new jobs uh, called marshals. You know, they, they went around. Uh, I, don't really, I didn't really see many of them in London, but uh, apparently some people saw around the country uh, to go around and tell people how to live their lives. Uh, now they got TV screens. It's literally like an episode of Black Mirror. If you have- It was actually Lord Street in Liverpool where the photo was taken. He says it was in London, but it wasn't. Well, I thought he said it, he, he, I thought he referenced... A picture from 18 months ago on Liverpool Street. Maybe I misinterpreted. According to, I don't know if it was The Guardian or where I found it, but that was taken from Lord Street. Oh, it was the Echo, Liverpool Echo. Echo, According to them, might be fake news, that photo was taken on Lord Street in Liverpool. What I found surprising was there was three of them together. (laughs) How did they spread out? Yeah. Social distancing, mate. Yeah. (laughs) It should be like other ends of the street. Only one of them's wearing a mask. What would you outside? Well, I can never be too safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, ah, the other safe. thing as well is, what would you rather face: a COVID marshal or a chugger? What's, what's oh, a chugger? A charity mugger. Yeah, you know. you're five minutes away for the kids. <laughs> yeah. Which one? And then I've noticed with the chuggers, they are far more organised in that you. You'll see one, say, on this side of the road, on the left-hand side of the road as you're facing, and then you think, right, fuck, going up to him, I'll just cross over, and then just ahead on the other side, there's another one. <gasps> and they do it on purpose, like alternating all the way up the high street. They used to do it all the time down. So it's a classic Alexander the Great yeah. pincer movement. Pow, 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 and then pow. Break through the centre, and then the cavalry comes on, <laughs> the, on the west flank. So they're like kind of... Um, they're sort of uh, like zigzagged if you were to draw a line. So you, like, if you were to cross and miss one, you'd walk into another one. So you have to walk past one of them. I think people Smart. say no a lot less in modern society. If you learn how to say no, it's quite easy to navigate the chuggers because you just say no, no down the middle of the road. <laughs> just say no to them. But I, th- I think there are a lot of people who, who feel compelled Politeness. to discuss anything with anyone. Yeah. Like um, Phil. 
I just think it's mad. You know, the whole thing is just mad. Mad. It's weird, the screens. The screens is totally weird. I mean, it's how long before someone it? hacks them to show something <laughs> much better? Uh, like what? I don't know. A blue movie? Oh, better, <laughs> blow, better blow for it down. It's a bit dangerous, that. You could put something on there, I don't know. A meme. Yeah, Doge. Doge, yeah. Doge meme. Should we move on uh, to boosters? Netherlands announced plan to give people up to six doses of COVID vaccine. At once? Uh, every three months. Hugo de Jong, health minister of the Netherlands, has indicated the country could be preparing for another three coronavirus booster vaccines. De Jong wrote a letter to his country's parliament Wednesday suggesting the Netherlands should consider additional rounds of booster vaccines to fight new variants, with two of these in 2022, so that's every six months, and another in shot in 2023. Just it, put it in the water. In the letter, De Jong wrote, Certainly, because only half of a regular vaccine is needed for the booster dose of Moderna, we now have sufficient vaccines for the current booster campaign, and there is ample basis for possible extra booster rounds in the second quarter in the autumn of 2022 and 2023. <laughs> so, I thought uh, Sean Connery was dead. <laughs> Some 35 million doses of the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine have already been ordered for 2022 and 2023, as well as 10.5 million doses of Moderna, 840,000 doses of Novax, and 10,000 doses of Valneva, if it, is improved for, if it is approved for use in the EU. An extra 5.8 million doses of BioNTech-Pfizer have also been ordered via the EU purchasing strategy. So that's, uh, yeah, 35 million of Pfizer. Netherlands population is 17 million. Stop so buying vaccines. Uh, mass formation. It's part of the deal. There is one solution. This is how they work. Yeah, it's mad. Like that's only the, one solution. I think the biggest thing um, I took away from that Peter McCulloch thing was like the lack of home treatment and like you know just giving people ivermectin or and just seeing if it reduces the amount of times people go into hospital. They're even restricting monoclonal antibodies now in the states. Can't get them. Yeah, they said said that the knee. I mean, <clears throat> that's that. Well, I was listening to some other people, you know, with their other opinions on it. Um, uh, it's not the right, I suppose Peter McCulloch would say it's not the right new technology. Um, that, But that's, I, I believe, I'm not an expert on it at all, that's quite a, a brand new thing, isn't it? This antibodies, monoclonal antibodies thing. Yeah, and it works. Mm. It works, apparently. It's really good. It's... Uh... For people who are in dire straits. Yeah. But, you know, we've got the new ones now. We've got the Merck. What's that? The drug. Uh, pill. Is it a drug? The yeah. Merck pill and the Pfizer pill. The Merck pill is fucking really sketch. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's chance that it's like, that could like sawdust. rewrite your DNA and stuff. I mean, oh God, stay away. And the Pfizer's like, look at the people who are excluded from taking it. it fu- you know, it's like um, remdesivir. It fucks your kidneys. It fucks everything else. Right. It's like, God. Isn't an, a milder Omicron strain the worst thing that could happen to, to these policy decision makers and the pharmaceutical companies themselves? No, because they'll, they'll make sure the vaccine takes credit for it. Yeah. Or yeah. The lo- like they did with lockdowns. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing as well, I'm quite interested to see... You got, you got boosted now. That's what did it. Yeah. You're getting quite good at yeah. that one. Oh, it's good, that one, yeah. Um, but I'm quite interested to see what happens with, you know, 
whatever it's like 200,000 cases a day isn't it or something at the moment um so what actually happens with hospitalizations and deaths whether it goes like ridiculous or whether it just can't we have a bit of a a normal winter peak well they're already saying that the reason for stress on the nhs now is is more about staff absences because people are are isolating and having to stay away from from work and yeah and in april it'll be to do with um, people getting fired as well yeah Uh, yeah. when the vaccine mandate comes in Mm. there's not enough is there question is there enough unvaccinated people to determine how bad a specific variant is now yes there is a big enough control group Oh, well, that's where you want to be looking to see whether the, the Omicron is or isn't less uh, dangerous. Yeah. And the next one, the next variant, if that's less than Omicron, eventually you're going to get is loads any- and loads of people testing positive and no one being ill. Is anybody actually looking into unvaccinated people and how they fare? No, and I think that's because what Phil just mentioned, the allowing the vaccine to take credit for the, for the dip in mm. infection or the dip in... There was something that came out from Norway yesterday, I think. I think it was yesterday, uh, where I might be slightly off on the numbers, but I think it was 87% of um, new infections were at least doubly vaccinated. Yeah. And the population of the, the percentage of the population vaccinated was 72 or 74. Might, might be nothing to see there don't know early days but well, yeah the the argument though is you, yeah you get infected breakthrough infection but mm. your symptoms are milder because you've had the vaccines mm. yeah and so, that's where the focus yeah. needs to be on the people who don't haven't had a vaccine and have had it yeah yeah we'll see i should have come around before christmas we could have tested <laughs> but it seems to be more to do with age and comorbidities doesn't it you don't think how you fare they've said yes. that since day one it's Fifteen million doses till freedom. The top two <laughs> groups: the over seventies oh, yeah. yeah. and the immunocompromised. Yeah, that was last this time last year. Mm-hmm. Didn't pan out, did it? But so yeah, so I'm quite interested to see anyway how it pans out with these new Nightingale <laughs> overflow places. Whether they actually get used this time, first and foremost, and whether or not. Because we haven't sort of followed suit in like locking down. Have they have they locked down now in Scotland effectively? And are they banning? Mm. Did they not ban Christmas? They cancelled Hogmanay, didn't they? Yeah. And is it not limited household mixing or something? No. There's never ever going to be any shortage of of the vaccine in any situation. Like ten, twelve years ago, when I was in the game, we could churn out from one site eight hundred thousand doses of a vaccine a day. So there's 15 million, there's, there's, no, there's not going to be an end to it in terms of there's not <coughs> enough vaccine for, for everyone to be vaccinated. So there's 15 million to end and then, oh, but we can make, you know, a million more a day. So there's, as, as it keeps getting made, governments are buying it and putting it in people's, people's arms, I guess. And that's, I, I don't see an end to that while it's a, while it's a viable business, business. model. Yeah. <clears throat> it's the most successful pharmaceutical product ever the Pfizer vaccine wow bigger than oxy yeah yeah anyway this is a good story i enjoyed this one woman self-isolates in self-isolates <laughs> in plain toilet for five hours after covid positive test mid-flight a u.s woman was told how she 
has told how she confined herself to an airplane toilet cubicle after testing positive for COVID halfway through a flight. Why did she test herself halfway through? Mass formation. Notes. Marissa Fortio, a teacher. Teacher. (laughs) (laughs) A teacher. No offence, teachers. Marissa Fortio, a teacher. (laughs) That's a pretty close one. No, he's, he's wised up and gone. All oh, right, okay. Got out of the system. Uh, a teacher from Michigan said her throat began to hurt halfway through the trip, so she went to the bathroom to perform a rapid COVID test, which confirmed she was infected. I just took my rapid test and brought it in in the bathroom, and within what felt like two seconds, there were two lines indicating a positive test, Fortio told NBC News. There's 150 people on the flight, and my biggest fear was giving it to them and maybe killing someone. I added that bit. <laughs> Sharing the news over TikTok, Fortio posted a yeah. short video from inside the cramped quarters, okay. writing, POV, you test positive for COVID while over the Atlantic Ocean. Shout out to Iceland Air for my VIP quarantine quarters. I'd have been, I'd been desperate for a shit knocking on that door. <laughs> That's what I thought. What happened to the other passengers for five hours? Yeah. Well, yeah. there's normally so one, more than one toilet, especially if it's a big plane. But, um, oh, I'd be so mad. I was thinking, where well, I'm going to have a poo now. I, ne- I always need, like, well, not always, actually, but sometimes after the meal, something gets things going, doesn't it? Good job she had, a, a, like, a spare test in her purse. She must carry on around with her all day, every day. Do you not? I know. <laughs> <laughs> why, I don't know why you would do it in the middle of a flight. No. Well, because her throat hurt. Her throat hurt, yeah. I suppose it's that... She doesn't want to kill anyone. Social responsibility, isn't there, that kind of thing. Don't kill Grandma. I know, yeah. I remember from last year. I tell you what, my fucking look, look him in the eyes. <laughs> look him in the eyes and tell him you did a COVID test on that flight from Chicago to Iceland. Oh, she uh, she just refuses to get COVID. My uh, eighty-one-year-old mother, or eighty, she is, I think. Eighty-one. That's the key. Year. Just say no. Say no more often. <laughs> she just like didn't stop like through uh, through the first bit when we were, when I was you know actually disturbed by what was happening. She just refused. No, I'm still going to go out. Said it all before. Um, and she, I, she has the first pandemic we've had in the last seventy eight years. You know, she's uh, said it all before. I think she might have been for one or two PCR, maybe one PCR test that came back negative. Um, she just is it an anal swab? <laughs> I fucking hope not for their sake. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I mean, she's never had it. I mean, a knee hurts. So, you know, she might have long COVID, I suppose. COVID knee. She's got a, a knee and a back hurts, and she's got, like, a bad blister that, um, that smells. Um, so, um, yeah, so I find it hard that difficult, you know, to with believe. the amount of sort of mixing that she does. She goes to church every week, sometimes multiple times. Um, That's what's doing it. That she's just got, not... She's got JC in her corner. Because <laughs> she, exactly, yeah, she's just, like... Never got it I that won- we know. I wonder if there is a psychological component to all this, and that if once you've been propagandized and your anxiety yeah. is raised, your stress levels were raised. Mm-hmm. I think there is a correlation between stress, anxiety, and a weakening of your immune system. Well, there is a known one yeah, with absolutely. cortisol. Yeah. So I think the people like me and your mum. You say, fuck it, I don't care. I'm just going to get on with my life. I'm not even worried about it. Give it. I've been trying to get the fucking thing for two years. But you see other people 
who I yeah who've answered the door to me in marigolds and a fucking practically a homemade hazmat suit. I think yeah, you're that fucking paranoid. You're probably going to get it and die because you're that stressed and so anxious about it. Yeah, you didn't tell him that on a doorstep, did you? <laughs> it's like you just. It's not good for you feeling being like that. I'm feeling no, like that. it's not. So uh, stress is the number one predictor for life expectancy. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, so turn off the news and just listen to us. <laughs> we <laughs> cannot guarantee a long life. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe if you put a focus uh, chi request in, yeah, we could we could it could nudge you over a hundred. It's like. Better than the Pfizer, 100% efficiency. 100% efficiency, 50% of yeah. the time. Not not 95%. No. Like that shitty vaccine started mm. out as. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, shall we uh, shall we move on? Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, big story. Um, There's a big story this week. Big man ting. Gillen Maxwell was the socialite whose manners and magnetism attracted princes and presidents but it was those same qualities she used to ensnare girls from troubled backgrounds, teenagers whom she served up for abuse by Jeffrey Epstein. Her siblings were in court as the verdict was read out. They know she'll almost certainly spend the rest of her life in prison. What do you think that means for uh, Andy Pandy? Depends if she uh, squawks. Plea deal? Yeah, plea deal, potentially. Oh, has she not been sentenced yet? I've not really looked into this at all. No, it's just guilty verdict this week. Yeah, okay. Looking at 30 years, maybe? 30? Yeah. Wow. But who knows, with a plea deal, that could go down to, I don't know, 10? Seven years with good behaviour? Yeah, if she... Does she have money still? Well, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the the quote is, I suppose, they've, they've gone after the pimps now, but what about all the... The Johns, all the all the punters who've been like, going to Epstein Island and doing these yeah. horrific things with with the youngsters, mm. they need they need to face the music and potentially if um, Andrew's one of them, he's he's gonna have to. Uh, they've asked for um, documented proof that he can't sweat, <laughs> that he can't provide. Um, you know, the, uh, top <laughs> endocrinologists have suggested that that potentially could be a fabricated uh, story. Um, what was his excuse that he had an overdose of adrenaline, adrenaline in the Falklands? And he no longer sweats, yeah. And what was the sweat thing again? Why was that a big thing? Can you uh, remember? Uh, some, there was there some report of him sweating over... Um, um, sweating. Oh, what's the name? Virginia... Gouffray. Gouffray, yeah, uh, as part of that. And his, his response on that interview was, oh, no, I, I, I can't sweat because... <laughs> he just went nuclear on that one, didn't he? Absolutely. That, that is... The biggest car crash TV, I think, of our uh, you, our times. This this woman says that this sweaty man uh, raped her. I can't sweat. I know, don't. <laughs> Focus on the sweating. That Ridiculous. was our uh, our first venture into news deconstruction. Was it, it was. Do you yeah. remember? I had twenty two clips from that interview. Yeah. That oh was, fuck. That was edited down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it was, that, it was awful, wasn't it? It was credible TV. Yeah. Incredible TV. Yeah. Yeah, you don't say that very often, Phil. But you're no. right. <laughs> no. Well, it's just extraordinary, wasn't it? it An was. extraordinary interview. And he sort of completely went off script. He wasn't 
you know, he wasn't sanctioned to do that interview no. by the palace. He went no, out of his way and to make himself look like a fucking prick. <laughs> and <laughs> imagine what, like, his subsequent lawyers <coughs> would have been thinking, or his lawyer at the time would have been thinking, when he's been sort of implicated in this fucking international crime nonsense that... um you know, and he's gone on and said all those different things, basically. What do you think will happen in the next couple of months, then, in terms of this? She'll get sentenced and sent down. Do you think she'll talk? There'll be a lot of, I would imagine, there's a lot of rich, powerful people who will be very scared that she is going to talk. Yeah, because Lane Maxwell didn't kill herself. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was heading towards. Do you think there might be another um, incident? It can't be after, after uh, Epstein. I, yeah, it seems hard to believe, maybe. I mean, she's intelligence, isn't she? If she did go for a plea deal you and know. got 10 years, so she, you know, she, she ends up leaving prison. I think at the moment she's down for potentially 30, so nah. she wouldn't leave prison. I think she'll get about 17, 18, so, so she'll be out in seven or eight. Right, well then, if she stays quiet... Yeah, stay quiet. She'll stay quiet. Get back on it. She's not a. Christ. She's not an idiot. Do you not think they'll um, sort of make an example of her in the same way that um, Weinstein? Did he not get eighteen years, which was like three times twice as much as anyone previous? No, I don't think they will make you know. an example of her. No, I think she'll. Um... Do you think she's too connected? Yeah. Yeah, I think she'll, that was get, she'll get a good deal, I think. Bringing it back to the, the dope sick thing mm. we're talking about in the middle, um, yeah. that was quite interesting what they were sort of saying in that. And I bet the books re- would be good to read that it's based on. I can't remember the name. Oh, it's of, based on a book? Yeah, it's called. Yeah. Well, I think the book's called Dope Sick. Um, it would be a good read. And you sort of talk about, is it Mark Cuomo? Was he, head, was he the attorney general? Is he Mark Cuomo, his brother, Anthony and Mark? No? I don't know Anthony. Uh, I don't know Mark. There's, there's Anthony Cuomo. And what's your name? He was the governor, wasn't he, Anthony? Yeah. Chris, Chris Cuomo is the NBC or CNN anchor. Right, okay. I'm sure there's a Cuomo. I, I just, because of the name, I thought, I wonder if... I just assumed it was one of the brothers. Right. And he was like the attorney general or something. And they were basically saying all the time there's no appetite for it to be prosecuted this that you're bringing forward basically and um, it was all coming from like the big the big cheesy's office yeah don't go forward this you won't get anything out of it and he forced yeah. it basically but anyway yeah even that even that was a a deal it was a bankruptcy deal wasn't it so Purdue Farmer are now no longer they they had to pay four and a half billion dollars I think yeah um, eventually that but, was that's that wasn't the first settlement was it the first settlement was five only 500 million as part of the deal though they um they family got off yeah you couldn't yeah 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 immunity yeah they didn't have to accept liability but apparently that's been overturned in a court recently like 18th of december right so it's still going on it's still super interesting Mm. definitely recommend that to any eavesdroppers who've not watched it that family even if it does go to the wire they will have so much stuff squirreled away in the Cayman Islands and exactly. other places. Oh, yeah, they still will super be rich. Fine. They'll be fine. Art, artworks yeah. everywhere. Yeah, and... they said that the um, they personally they wouldn't ever go bankrupt. It's the business, basically. They yeah. Paid yeah. for it all. But they're coming, they're, they're going to pursue the family. They're going to continue to pursue the family. But even so, 
Mm. It's not like they're going to go to jail. No. <laughs> These people don't go to jail. No, I know, yeah. No, this is what's quite interesting about the Ghislaine mm. uh, incident because, you know, she's been fingered. So, I mean, that, mm. that, what all this is like, you know, serious happenings the the and the purge thing is serious happenings as well but it's it's almost like the butterfly effect so it's these little t- tiny lies changed graphs like a logarithmic scale on a graph rather than the, the standard one that they were they were using to persuade doctors to prescribe this drug and it was just little tiny things like that that led to you know millions and millions of deaths Data manipulation. Absolutely. And it's yeah. it, th- at the time, it, it would have been potentially probably thought of as, well, it's just a little tweak and it makes our product look better, so let's let's push it out there for marketing. Might not even have been, it would have probably been signed off by the family at some point, but probably didn't I doubt they were it. fully involved in, in that, you know, doctrine of the, the data and stuff. But still, yeah. they're implicated by ownership. There used to be a website. I don't know what it's called now, but you could look at the um, the lawsuits against uh, pharmaceutical companies in the states over the last twenty years, and you know, the criminal, <laughs> the yeah. like, the worse than the banks, the worse than the banks when it comes to uh, negligence and uh, corporate mal- malfeasance. Saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. It holds true. Anyway, um, going back to Gislaine. Gislaine, um, the purveyor, the Ministry of Truth, the BBC, had some analysis and uh, they got on a constitutional lawyer to talk about the, the verdict, the result of the case. Well, let's uh, get more analysis of that verdict now. We can speak to constitutional lawyer Alan Dershowitz, who joins us now. Strange choice. Um, this uh, was a much-watched trial uh, and uh, after a long a uh, set of deliberations spanning Christmas with a, a break. Uh, suddenly, the the the, the jury uh, reached a verdict. Well, I think the most important thing, particularly for British workers, is that the um, government uh, was very careful who it used as witnesses. It did not use as a witness the woman who accused Prince Andrew, accused me, accused accused me. Oh, he's oh. the guy. Yeah, he was part There's of many it. other people because the government didn't believe she was telling the truth. In fact, she, Virginia Gouffre, was mentioned in the trial as somebody who brought young people to Epstein Ooh. for him to abuse. And so this case does nothing at all to strengthen in any way the case against Prince Andrew. Indeed, it weakens the case against Prince Andrew considerably because the government was very selective in who it used. It used only witnesses who they believed were credible, credible, and they deliberately didn't use the main witness, the, the woman who started the whole investigation, uh, Virginia Gouffre, because ultimately they didn't believe she was telling the truth. They didn't believe that a jury would believe her, and they were right in doing so. So it was very smart on the part of the government. Uh, 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 and yet... <laughs> so... The the news drops that that Ghislaine is being sent down, and who did the BBC get? The Alan Dershowitz that she accused, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer, mm. the guy who did the sweetheart deal in two thousand and seven to get him out of a custodial sentence. Mm-hmm. They're bringing this guy on for analysis and balance. I know it seemed like he w- it used that interview really to um, uh, 
Well, what's the word? For hit job? Yeah, on that on that girl, I suppose. Yeah, let's go to clip Dersh hit job. The testimony introduced evidence that other people were guilty and involved. Again, uh, Virginia Gouffray, she was alleged by the same women who... It's been asked about Ghislaine Maxwell and the yeah. verdict. ...who the jury believed to have brought them to Jeffrey Epstein, knowing that they were underage... Uh, getting undressed, having sex with Epstein in front of them when they were underage in order to encourage them also to have sex with Epstein. So I think the next question is, when will Virginia Gouffre be indicted and charged rather than her accusing people like Prince Andrew and me and uh, Barack and George Mitchell and the dozens of other people who she's accused. So the next question the powerful is, white who men. else will be charged for facilitating uh, Jeffrey Epstein's um, misconduct? I just can't believe the... Well, I can. The incompetence of the BBC to bring this fucker on. Yeah, that's a, that's a terror. I'm surprised that hasn't been picked up. Do you know... Other. Have you got a second clip? Because nope. apparently they had Ghislaine's brother on. Right. Talking to the BBC, <laughs> bringing some analysis. That's, Which was picked up as as you know not right. That's Virginia Gouffray there right. with the famous photo of a, a non-sweating Prince Andrew. That hand doesn't look sweaty, does it? And then the uh, they might have long COVID. <laughs> the, the convicted child sex trafficker there in the background. Yeah, is Lane, his uh, close personal friend. I did a post to Instagram in the week of all the photos of him and her together at Beatrice's wedding and other different things. Yeah, but he, he had no idea. She never, was a fucking monster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, B- BBC Sportsman said on Thursday that um, Dershowitz was not a suitable person to interview as an yeah. impartial analyst. Okay, now. And we did not make the relevant background clear to our audience. We will look into how this happened. Heads I mean, will roll or not. No, they won't. <laughs> I mean, Some underling will get booed. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was terrible, really, wasn't it? It was. Shocking. I mean, that guy's been accused of yeah, paedophilia. Yeah, and it's like... Uh, Andy was the lawyer who got Epstein off, off. in the first place. Mm. Don't put him on the BBC. He's a fucking scumbag. Mm. What were they balancing against? <laughs> <laughs> and now we have the Pope. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> the Christ and the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> the black bishop good god um should we move on to something uh, this is something i want to uh, this next story from we on from world in one news is something i want to ask our next week's guest about oh. now do you remember preparing for exams waking up early oh. eating healthy setting goals revising notes even praying for that matter we all tried it during school and college a lot of you may still be doing it as most academic years are almost nearing their end but if you're from the uk you may have heard of a new trend that is catching up, a new way of preparing for exams and boosting your performance. The use of what they're calling study drugs. It's a dangerous trend that is catching up amongst university students in the UK. According to a report by The Times, students at some of Britain's best and biggest institutions are using performance-enhancing study drugs. They're using them to prepare for exams or meeting deadlines. And no, this is not some remote trend. This is the norm in some of the most prestigious universities in the UK. I never sucked any ding-dongs. Which universities are we talking about? The report names a few. The Oxford... Chest feeding. Wayne Kerr. Oxford University. 
Edinburgh, Nottingham, the London School of Economics, among others. They have been found to have to be regular consumers. Students here have been found to be regular consumers of study drugs. What sort of drugs are we talking about? We are talking about stimulants like modafinil, ritalin, and dexamphetamine. I'll translate. That was modafinil, ritalin, dexamphetamine. What's the one they use in America a lot? Adderall. Adderall, yeah. Can I give you some Adderall for the, I big, mean, for the big paper tomorrow? What is it? Is that like, is it supposed to help you concentrate? Oh, because it's like Gingo Biloba. Is it like, so, like, ad, uh, Ritalin is for ADHD, isn't yeah. it? Counterintuitively, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, Doesn't it make you hyper? Uh, so. Are you thinking of riddle out? So, in ADHD. I'm probably going to like butcher this as well. I believe you're understimulated. So um, I, I think it's a stimulant. They could just could just bring them in here. So <laughs> yeah. stimulated. I, I, I probably can't say too much, but um, <laughs> you're our expert. <laughs> well, we're kind of looking into ADHD for some reasons, and um, it, some reasons. Yeah, it's like. The, What's in vain? What, what I've kind of read about it on research papers is that it's, it's an issue with like the oh fuck me I always forget this like the central processor like the the overarching thing that decides what to focus on all the rest of it. Oh, the the AMD Ryzen nine. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, Thread dripper. Yeah, you know I've been I've been reading about it quite a lot recently as well, and basically that doesn't work properly in people, so you you can't. So I guess should have got intel. Take it, yeah. Taking a stimulant, what it does is it improves that ability to control everything. Central processor. Mm. God, that's dystopian. Is it part of the brain? Well, it's like the homunculus thing, but it's just a different analogy <laughs> now. That's something else, no? Well, it's just oh, the di- little man in the brain that yeah, pilots that, that yeah, yeah, men yeah, in black. Like, but it's just like a different. Where everything's like. Uh, Analogous to computers now, isn't it? Rather than tiny humans. Anal locus. Yeah. <laughs> not heard it pronounced like that before. <laughs> Keep what, it. What did it I say? Is bonkers. <laughs> Analogous. 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 <laughs> no, I like it. Uh, Keep yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Anal logus is better. Anal logus. Um, yeah. So I imagine that it probably stimulates that. Or something, I guess. Anal logus. Mm. And then dexamphetamine. What? Speed? Yeah, That's another it. another stimulant, isn't it? What about microdosing? She didn't mention that. I'm guessing that these people are cramming and they oh, think yes. they want to have for the, zero in on things. Yeah, and for the exam, it's like it's like my exam technique. Just fill the page with bullshit. <laughs> So the more you write, the more chances you're going to hit something that's that's gold, golden, and get you an A. How's that working out for you? Doing well. I did did fine, didn't I? I didn't, I didn't yeah. go, and I and I passed. So magic, quantity, <laughs> <laughs> not quality. <laughs> throwing the pharaohs at this target. Yeah, I think so. That's what I did in my uh, degree, my degree exams. Have you not come across the use of study drugs? Only re- only um, Adderall. Adderall in uni? No, no, personally, no, no. No, not you, no. but I mean, you know people who took it. No, just fun drugs in uni. Yeah. I've not, I've, nobody's admitted that they've taken something like that that I've spoken to professionally. 
Um, you know, lots of people take recreational drugs and stuff. Don't take LSD before an exam. Yeah. (laughs) Unless it's creative writing. There's uh, lots of interesting stuff in Harry's book about, you know, the definitions, like what, what is a, what is a drug? Mm. Um, there was legislation brought in, I think in 2018, banning psychoactive substances. Yeah, so it's broader. But that wasn't that was that to do with no, that was earlier, wasn't Design it? Like MCAT. Yeah, yeah. And because so they kept changing a, they banned oh, each the bath salts. Yeah, yeah. Like you ban a substance, a mm. compound, they'll change a molecule, yeah. re-release it. So legal high. They came up mm. with this blanket mm. uh, legislation: psychoactive substance. Isn't caffeine with, a psychoactive? Substance? With a few notable oh. <laughs> exceptions being alcohol, tobacco, food. And medicine. Oh. Oh, so if it's if it's medicinal. Well that kind of opens the door almost, which I guess is what, what the the psychonauts are pushing on. Well, this is where it comes into scheduling. Uh, so cannabis Saji Javid when he was home secretary or, or I thought that was a strain then, cannabis Savage Javid. <laughs> Savage Javid. Some mellow he, indica. Uh, he he reclassified cannabis as Schedule Two, meaning that it has some medicinal benefits. Because that that outcry of those ki- those mums with the kids who couldn't get, mm. they were travelling across the world to get cannabis for the mm-hmm. whatever conditions they had, and there was this public outcry a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Um, still, it's still fighting for it. I mean, you can get oh, it you prescribed, can't... but it's case, prescribed, isn't it? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, it's not like you know. What another thing that's interesting about the book is the sort of UN charters which ban all these countries from legalizing. Oh. Like there was charters going back to before World War One, and then after World War Two, and I think the last one in the sixties UN charter, and it's all about regulating drug sales between countries. Right, it goes back to like the Opium Wars and <laughs> Britain looking after its interests in India, India yeah. producing cannabis and all this sort of stuff. It's wild. It's a wild history. The East India Company. Yeah. I thought it was tea. Very much so. <laughs> did everything, didn't it? Well, it goes, but yeah, tea, tea and um, uh, Boston Tea Party. Mm-hmm. It's a drug, caffeine, at the end of the day. It's mad, yes. isn't it? It's all in there, yeah. Mm. Good, I'm looking forward to that next So week. am I, yeah. Yeah, he sounds like an interesting guy, doesn't he? And he's a proper expert. Proper expert, chat. Even though we don't like experts. Mm, no. Like Michael Gove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's changed his mind, hasn't he? Has he? What's he saying now? Well, he's telling, you know, blah, 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 calling blah, people... Chest feeding. COVID idiots. Oh, well, that, that was... Oh, uh, yeah. Was that not Tony Blair? No, he, no, says, no, he, says, yeah. he says it as well, so, you know. He calls people idiots. Who's he calling idiots, Michael Gove? Everyone. I'm pretty sure you played a clip from him. Yeah, COVID idiots. He's like... Do you, you don't reckon he's um, positioning himself for another stab at leadership, do you? Truss, apparently, is going to... Uh, <laughs> you got to... Liz Truss, you got to look up the clip from a Tory party conference, I want to say, from 2017, maybe, 16, where she's talking about cheese. It's great. All right, Truss Cheese, I'll Google that. Look that up on YouTube. No, she's not going to be leading. It's going to be Rishi. Rishi, Dishy Rishi. Got to be. Or Savage. Well, I don't know. Can't. Yeah, no. But... I heard Zahawi was in the in the running as recently as three weeks ago. 
founder of the co-founder of the ONS, the Office for National Statistics. Yeah, Sahawi. Mm-hmm. It's been around. How long has that been around? I thought it's been around for ages. The ONS. No. Right. Give it a fancy name, and it becomes part of the institution. I guess it does sound like it. You'd think it would have been around for forty years, but. Is it not changing to the ONSS, the Office of National Statistical Security? <laughs> <laughs> Should do. Should do, yeah. Right then, so we go. In the beginning. Into oh. the night. In the beginning. <laughs> this is... Uh, did you play this on here? Did we yeah. play this on this podcast? Yeah. I can't believe that. <coughs> I, can't re- I can't believe I've not made that connection because my wife has been laughing... Uh, at, our, at our podcast? No, it, it's, I think it must be on TikTok. Uh, uh, that that guy reading, trying, in to, the beginning. trying to read the Bible. Just, all, all of it? <laughs> no, he didn't get past Genesis 1, <laughs> chapter yeah. 1. To yeah. get past first, the first sentence. First line, no. <laughs> oh, it, God, you'd never heard it, Ben. No, in, I haven't, no. In the beginning. Oh, what a shame. Well, I would love to play more of it, but, you know. Oh, go on. In the beginning. It sounds the same, but it's not. It's a different clip. Yeah. It's right. a tricky when you look at beginning yeah. though, you can understand why he's struggling um as not a native speaker. I'm not convinced yeah. it's not fake. I think it's fake. You so. think it's fake? I've not yeah. I've not seen the video. I'm a cynical fucker though. Yeah, oh, you are. No. Show us what you've got. <laughs> Show me what I don't even know who that is. But anyway. Yeah. Right. Should we, we go? Very Should good, yes. Let's go yeah, and praise Jabalon. Yeah. I like what you got. Good job. Hang on, Jabalon? Well, he's dead, so, uh, <laughs> you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Jabalon's dead. They're all dead. I look like a war-hardened goblin. Hello there. Right, we'll come back next <laughs> We'll come back next week, Jabalon. <laughs> <laughs> what? Let's do some voice morphing. <laughs> Cut off your genitals, gouge out your eyes, die! So we'll be back next week. Back for the podcast. Lovely. Yes, see you later, guys. Thanks very much for listening again. Yeah. Um, He's bonkers. Phil needs a new uh, computer, so donate, share, like, subscribe. Send your money to me <laughs> so I can buy a new PC. Streaming. Tower with loads of RAM and a massive graphics card! <laughs> Save Blockland! Cut a great fucking vegan. It is bonkers. You know, the whole thing is just mad.